the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Dave Ellswick Show podcast is sponsored by the Juris Law Group. We provide estate planning for all ages, and we specialize in helping seniors get VA and Medicaid benefits for in-home, assisted living, and nursing home care. For a no-risk consultation, call us at 501-400-8250 or find us on the web at juristlawgroup.com. That's J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Hey, it's a Monday. If you want... are we running, Russ? Are the cameras up? We are. All right. So you want to watch, you can watch today. All you got to do is go to uh, facebook.com uh, slash Dave Ellswick Show, and we will we'll be live right there in front of you. Be able to watch us, see what's going on. So, I, you know, I wanted to get started today because uh, Steve Mosier is going to be with us right off the bat, and we're going to talk uh, with him about this whole thing going on at the Olympics with Oon's uh, sister showing up at the uh, Olympics. This, to me, is no different, the way the media is doing it, than uh, the way the, the a lot of the media reacted in 1936 when uh, Hitler hosted the, the Olympics in Berlin, Germany, and used it, used it for all kinds of propaganda. And that's exact. This is exactly what the North is doing right now. This is all propaganda. Well, you know, in 1936, Hitler didn't see the light and decide that all men are created equal and change any of his policies. You know, if they were going to show up and say, "Hey, we're going to release some of these millions of families that we've got in prisons and in slavery," I still wouldn't have trusted them. Yeah, but uh, no, nothing. Nothing will change nothing will change and you got a government now in the south that is like neville chamberlain is like the president of south korea right now Stephen, hey let's, let's get you up Stephen, am i right or am i right <laughs> you you are doubly right i mean this is amazing have, i have yeah it, it is it is uh, well more than amazing it's disgusting it's despicable it, it it turns the truth on its head because the truth of the matter of course is that the north korean regime is is one of the most brutal dictatorships on the planet. Fifteen percent of the population is in prison camps, and a large percentage of those die each year. And then you've got half the population on food aid. Uh, people in the United States need to know that that half the population is officially, according to the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, malnourished, and a third of them uh, are so malnourished that they're starving to death and surviving only because the outside world sends food aid into North Korea. Uh, meanwhile, Kim Jong-un, who is uh, the little pretty girl's uh, older brother, is is using all of his resources not to feed his people but to build missiles and nuclear weapons uh, with Chinese components, by the way, pointed at the United States of America. Yeah, and the, and the media doesn't do any – doesn't even talk about that. They talk about, look at that radiant smile. Well, she's like Ivanka Trump. That's what the Washington Post said today, that she was like Ivanka Trump. 
How crazy is that? Well, it, it's astonishing. But what 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 called my attention was uh, caught my attention was the the two hundred uh, little. Um, uh, girls who are dressed in identical uniforms uh. with identical smiles, uh, busy doing what's called cheerleading. And, of course, uh, the punishment for being out of step or singing off Cree key is, is banishment to one of the labor camps in North Korea. So they're very careful. Yeah, they're very synchronized because uh, their life their life depends on it. It reminds me, you know, of the 2008 uh, Olympics, uh, Summer Olympics in Beijing. Of course, they didn't just have 200 cheerleaders there. They had, what, 8,000 little girls in identical uniforms with identical smiles, looking like little puppets walking down the street. This is the kind of, of organization uh, that, that should make every American shudder. There's no individualism in this. There's no free will. It's all orchestrated, synchronized, controlled by the government. Well, it's all the collective. I mean, that's what they believe in, the collective. Yes. Stephen, yeah. this is already uh, this is R.D. Hopper. What what amazes me is one person speaking out against the government over there can banish their entire family to labor camp for the rest of their lives. Half of the families in Korea today don't even know why they are in prison camps with no hopes of getting out. So uh, that is not that is not the type of behavior we want we want to reward. That's for sure. But. Uh, we're not getting any promises of improvement. You know, if this was an opening of a door to start communications for improvement, but there's probably about as much chance as that happening as Hitler in 1936. Well, I think you have to understand, I wrote a book recently called Bully of Asia, why China's dream is the new threat to world order. And what I argue in that book is that North Korea is, in, in very real terms, uh, nothing more than itself a puppet state of China, that is, without the trade, without the aid, without the food, without the, the oil coming across the China border, uh, North Korea would get cold and dark and even more hungry in very short order. So the key to solving the North Korean, Korean problem, uh, I believe, is in Beijing. And if we can get Beijing to shut down the border with North Korea, uh, then then I think we would see regime change there. If we could get, uh, if we can't do that, then we need to start uh, putting more and more pressure on on Beijing. Um, as far as the South Koreans, you know, this uh, this fellow, uh, the current uh, president of uh, South Korea, his family is from the north. Uh, his family was part of the great evacuation mm-hmm. of uh, you know hundreds of thousands of North Korean refugees who fled before the advancing uh, Chinese Communist forces back in 1950. And uh, so his family is from Hongnam in the north, and I think he has a little soft spot in his heart for people who speak with a, a North uh, Korean dialect. But that doesn't excuse the fact that that he's um, that he's he's uh, you know he's he's kind of a lefty. He's not uh, he's not like his predecessor Park. He's taking uh, a line I think that uh, is dangerous because if you show weakness to tyrants like Kim Jong Un and his sister, uh, you invite aggression. Yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about her because everybody thinks, well, come on, man, she's just his sister. Well, no, she's not just a spectator in North Korea. She's not just hanging out being the sister of the of the dictator. She is the director of the propaganda and agita- uh, agitation department of the Workers' Party of Korea. She oversees the propaganda regime that constitutes a key component of 
of the enslavement of her country's people. She's a member of the Politburo. And and just don't take it from what I'm telling you. She's personally sanctioned by the U.S. Treasury Department for her role in sustaining North Korea's oppressive regime. Enough said. Oh yeah, I mean, look, she she's uh, she is uh, his 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 right hand, managing, controlling, and oppressing uh, the North population. And, and and make no mistake about it, you know, she's she looks well dressed, well nourished. Uh, she wears these crisp black suits. Uh, she has this sort of uh, aristocratic poise about her. Uh, but but she's a very nasty piece of work. I mean, you can't grow up in a society like that with such stark divisions between ordinary people who are starving and the elite families who are the new aristocrats. I mean, look, she is the granddaughter of the man, Kim Il-sung, who, uh, the communist who first invaded South Korea and started the Korean War. And uh, she's cut from the same same cloth. Mm-hmm. This is the, the Kim imperial dynasty, which runs from Kim Il-sung through, through Kim Jong-il and now through Kim Jong-un. And we have here a princess of the the Kim Imperial Dynasty, and they have done everything imaginable to stay in power over the last uh, more than half century. Uh, they have, you know, in in uh, my goodness, the Christians in North Korea. There are quite a few Christians in Korea. Korea was a big uh, stop on on the, the missionary enterprise in Asia uh, in the last century, and Christian persecution in in in, in North Korea is incredible. Uh, they've they've been killed. They've they've been sent to forced labor camps. They've been tortured. They've been persecuted. They've been starved. Uh, forced abortion and sexual violence in the camps. You know, if a woman in the prison camps in North Korea gets pregnant, the guards will beat her until she she aborts because oh women God. in the prison camp system are not allowed to have children. Uh, that's how brutal it is. This woman, uh, in her little crisp black. Uh, Mao-like suits, knows all this, supports all this, hides all this, and and should not be celebrated by CNN or anybody else as some kind of humane face of North Korea. All the while, they're dissing our own vice president, of course. Yeah, I've got from Weekly Standard, it says, whatever the case, one can't help but be stunned at the blatant amorality of CNN and the likes coverage. Kim Yo-jong uh, is thought to be about 30 years old, like her older brother, she was educated in Switzerland while a mass famine caused by their father's callous policies killed hundreds of thousands or perhaps even millions, the true extent is still not known, of her countrymen in the 90s. I know another North Korean, roughly Kim's age, who now lives in Seoul. He survived the famine, but you can see the mark of it left upon him. He is never fully developed. His frame is tiny though his hands are those of a bigger man, a man who would have been bigger had he not suffered from malnutrition. Now CNN glamorizes an agent of the regime that did that to him. And, you know, they asked this woman, you know, was she shocked by the differences between the North and the South? And she says, no, it, 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 it's just like being at home, being here, you know, except when you're at home, when, we, when you're at when you're at home, there is no freedom. You know, there's no freedom, whatever, whatsoever. And people are starving to death and they're being put to forced labor and everything. It's, and, the, and the media just let her say this crap. It just blows me away. Yeah, they, they, nobody, nobody disputes uh, with her the, the lies that she's telling. 
But, you know, I just look at that North Korean defector, that soldier who yes. came across the demilitarized zone a few weeks ago. Uh, he had hepatitis C. He was malnourished, and he was part of the elite, right? He was there guarding the border, and presumably he's better fed than some of the other soldiers who in turn are better fed than the mass of the population. And then he had a, a, a stomach full of intestinal worms. So he was in very, very bad physical condition, and he's the best uh, that uh, that North Korea had to offer by the way of soldiery. Um, that's just, I mean, uh, this this uh, this collusion with North Korea, I mean, collusion has been in the news a lot lately. This collusion with the North Korean regime uh, is is driven by, I don't know, what, what an uncontrollable hatred of the president, his daughter mm-hmm. Ivanka, America hey. itself. Um, this is a woman, Kim Jong-un's sister, who runs concentration camps. Uh, the North Korean cheerleaders there in, in, uh, at the Olympics are all slaves. And, and this is exactly the kind of regime that, that uh, the North Korean, uh, the, exactly the kind of press coverage North Korean regime was looking for. Uh, why should we give it to them? Yeah, a- absolutely. Uh, just to finish up here, I, I did want to ask you some questions about China as well. Uh, CNN's treatment of Kim, however, uh, let's just say, instead of the most trusted name in news, uh, here's what they said. They said she is stealing the show at the Olympics by virtue of her smile and her warm message. CNN further said that Kim was earning, quote, a gold medal, unquote, for her diplomatic dance. Makes me want to just hurl right here on the air right now. Uh, it's incredible, uh, especially when you have, uh, uh, you know, the report uh, reports on on uh, persecution in the north. Uh, people, Christians, for example, have been quote hung on a cross over a fire, crushed under steamroller, herded off bridges, and trampled underfoot. Um, so that's that's what happens to uh, to to our fellow believers in in North mm-hmm. Korea, and this is a woman who's who herself and her family is responsible for it. I mean, you might as well say that <laughs> uh, it, words fail me, and and I'm a wordsmith. I write books, I give lectures, but uh, this is this is just uh, beyond the pale. I, I wish that that CNN would uh, actually move its headquarters to Pyongyang. I think they would find a lot in common. Uh, with the regime there. Well, yeah, they've um, been doing really good with propaganda, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt at all. Hey, Stephen, would you stay with us? I want to take a quick break, and then we'll come back, and uh, we will talk further. I want to talk specifically some about your book. Uh, that Your book is what we've been giving away for the Dave Ellswick uh, 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 book club here over the last few weeks, and so I'd like to talk to you a little bit about it, if that would be all right with you. Yeah, I'd be happy to stick around. Okay, so you hold on. We'll be back in just a second. Don't forget about Juris Law Firm. They're still offering the uh, no-risk consultation about aid and attendance, that special pension program I talk about for wartime veterans, not retiree veterans, but re, you know veterans. If you served in a, in a wartime uh, qualifying period like World War II, Korea, or Vietnam— you meet the military service rules, serving 90 consecutive days on active military duty, served at least one day during wartime, received a better than dishonorable discharge, and you qualify medically. Uh, you could end up receiving up to uh, some great uh, benefits, a maximum benefit for a veteran with a spouse of $2,127 
a month be used for in-home care, independent living, assisted living, nursing home care. But, you know, you got to get all the paperwork together. You got to, you know, get through and uh, run through the maze of governmental uh, bureaucracy called the VA. And Kimbrough Stevens will help you out with that, the managing attorney for the Juris Law Group. This is no cost to you. It is a no-risk consultation. He will help you get the paperwork together. He'll, he'll be able to tell you whether you're going to qualify for this program or not, and it won't cost you a penny to find out. Call 501-400-8250 or go to their website at Juris. That's J-U-R-I-S-T, JurisLawGroup.com. I tried to get a bite of a cookie before I came back on, and I didn't succeed. <laughs> you know what we're talking about, North Korea. There we got you. You know we're talking about, North Korea. Uh, just the propaganda that they teach the children in schools about the United States of America. If you look at the posters and the painting on the wall. Are you within, talking about in North Korea or yeah, here North in the United Korea, States? Yeah, North Korea. <laughs> yeah, North Korea. A lot of propaganda about the United States here and, oh, yeah. not, and not good uh, yeah, about that's, the United yeah, States. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, in North Korea, the propaganda that they teach their children in North Korea about the United States and the posters that they have on the walls yep. everywhere where they have the United States killing babies and and uh and throwing women and children off gloves well, we and, don't do that. Uh, and and all of that stuff so they brainwash their children that the united states is the source of all of north korea's problem from a very young age you know who else did that the japanese during world war ii in okinawa when we were fighting on okinawa against the japanese the people of okinawa were jumping off the cliffs because they right. thought the americans would just kill them right off the bat. Stephen, well, Stephen that, that, that's true history, is it not? It is, yeah. Uh, there were, we, American soldiers were, were astonished and, of course, saddened by the fact that, that some women and children were actually throwing themselves off cliffs because they had been told that their only fate at the hands of American soldiers uh, was, was, was going to be to be raped and killed. And the truth of the matter is, um, their their fate would have been to be given chocolate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. They would have been, they would have been treated, treated, treated very well. But the North Korean propaganda, uh, which starts, of course, as soon as babies can walk and talk, blames America for all of North Korea's problems. And it also says that, that America started the Korean War. Now, we didn't even have any troops in South <laughs> Korea when the North invaded the South. Uh, Kim Il-sung, you know, threw his army on the almost defenseless South, which only had a a police force, and it was only because we had some troops in Okinawa and, and Japan that we were able to respond and, and establish a defensive perimeter around the southern city of Pusan. Otherwise, um, the North Korea, the North Koreans would have been victorious in short order. But the thing that really astonishes North Korean defectors, you know, they, they come to the South, uh, they're astonished by the, the, the supermarkets full of food, they're astonished that everybody lives so well, that everybody has uh, cars and, and, and a, a lots of material things they don't have in the North. But the one thing that, 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 that really causes them to almost lose their mind is when they learn that it wasn't uh, America that invaded North Korea, it was North Korea that invaded the South. Uh, that turns their whole world upside down. You know that defectors have now a year-long course in, in South Korea. Once they arrive in North Korea, they're so isolated, malnourished, and miseducated. It takes a year-long course by the South Korean government to educate them and to integrate them into society in the South. 
And that's amazing because they're all Koreans, right? Mm -hmm. They speak basically the same language, but they've had such a different experience. They've been so poorly educated and so miseducated, so propagandized that it takes a year to make them into people who who can carry on uh, and live independently in the South and get a job and actually function as human beings. I don't have time to to get into uh, China today. I will call back to Casey, and we'll get you set up again, Stephen, here on the show. But we have 30 seconds. Your thoughts about what the Pope said about China as the country which is implementing Catholic social teaching best. I couldn't possibly say everything I have to say about that. I have been in China. I have helped build churches for the underground church. I've been at home church meetings. Uh, I am just astonished by the lack of understanding of of what life is really like there. And they're tightening the screws in China, of course. Now, people have been forbidden to bring their own children to prayer meetings, to church, because it's now against the law. Now is not the time to be appeasing. It's the time to be criticizing it. I got to let you run. We will get you back on in the near future. We got Todd Starnes right now. Let's talk about Lewis Family Beef. Uh, It is the place to go to get the beef that uh, is not full of a bunch of hormones. Now, when I say that Lewis Family Beef has hormone-free cattle, I'm not talking about just normal hormones. Every living thing, I agree. Some people wrote to me and said, you're lying to people. I'm not lying to anybody. People understand that living things have hormones. What they want to know is, is are they being filled up with more home hormones than what they need? Which is what I'm talking about here. The Lewis family beef people do not inject their cattle with more hormones. Neither do they use antibiotics. Now they might on a sick cow, but if they do use antibiotics on that cow, he's taken or she is taken out of the ability to be sold to a customer. Because if antibiotics are used on a cow on a ranch anywhere before it can get into the food chain, they have to wait at least 21 days so that the body can try to clear out those, uh, those antibiotics. I did a lot of reading about this because somebody brought up some questions on Facebook, so I did my research, and that and that's where we're at right now. Antibiotics can be cleared out, but why would I want to look? If it takes twenty-one days, why would I want to buy that cow? Why would I want to buy that beef? I just just the way I feel about it. And uh, as far as being stress-free, they said there's no there's no truth to that. Do your research. Yeah, there is. If they're stress-free, the beef is typically more tender because cortisol is uh, dropped into the bloodstream just like a human being when they're stressed out. That goes up in, as far as you're concerned as well. It's the old fight-or-flight syndrome. And when that is dumped into the, uh, the bloodstream of the cow, uh, it does not retain as much water. If it doesn't retain the amount of water that it needs, the beef dries and gets tougher. Bottom line. So you want more tender beef. You want beef that doesn't have any kind of antibiotics or the, uh, the, even the, the uh, chance of any trace antibiotics. And you don't want beef that has been, uh, you know, that the cow's been full of uh, more hormones than it needs. Then buy Lewis Family Beef. Your choice. It's that, that simple. It's your choice. They sell a quarter, a half, or a whole cow. 
All right, just so you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the, packing, the packing house is going to call you, ask you how you want your beef cut up. You'll tell them exactly how you want it done, how much you want hamburger, how much you want, you know, a roast, how many steaks that you want, how big, how much thickness they are, and all the rest. When it's all said and done, they get the beef back. The Lewis family beef people will deliver it to your home absolutely free. Call Cody or Sarah at 501-328-3554. That's 501-328-3554. Or go to facebook.com slash Lewis Family Beef. That was a really good interview in the last half hour already with, with Stephen, uh, uh, um, how, what was it? How you pronounce his last name there? Uh, Mosher. Mosher. Okay. I wanted to make yes. sure about that. Mosher, who, by the way, wrote the book that we're giving away for the Dave Ellswick book club this month. Well, it sounds like a good book. He's been to China. He's worked with the churches underground. Yep. He knows that the bishops in China are appointed by the Chinese government and, uh, he knows how Christians are oppressed over there. He he speaks from a firsthand knowledge. Yeah, they're they're even the churches that they back. If they start getting too big, they go and implode those churches. They destroy them. Yeah, I've I've seen them take bulldozers and and push push the people's houses down where people are having the church services in their house and push their houses down with bulldozers. So, yeah, that was a real good interview and someone that knows the truth about China, not afraid to speak the truth. Well, talking about money. North Korea, you yeah, know. yeah, China and China and North Korea. Yeah, they're they're two peas in a pod. Yeah, they are very self. You know, they, <clears throat> they 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 are very very much uh, in, involved with each other very closely. But I, I just want to remind everybody. Let me just read that. You know the the whole thing about the sister because everybody says, well, you can't find her. She's not a, evidently not as bad as her brother. She's not the dictator. He's the dictator. So you're going to find her guilty by association? No, that's not right. Uh, understand that she's an elite member of his regime. She's director of the propaganda and agitation department. Their their <clears throat> terminology, not mine, of the Workers Party of Korea. She oversees the propaganda regime that constitutes a key component of the enslavement of her country's people. She's also a member of the Politburo. That's the the head honchos over there in, in North Korea. And she has been sanctioned by the U.S. Treasury Department for her role in sustaining North Korea's oppressive regime. Uh, she went to school in Switzerland. She's about 30 years old. Uh, she went to school in Switzerland while there was a mass famine going on uh, in uh, her country caused by her father's callous policies, which uh, killed hundreds of thousands, perhaps even millions, the true extent is still not known, of uh, her fellow countrymen in the 1990s. Uh, so bottom line is, you know, you're look, looking into the face it's you're looking at the velvet glove that covers the iron fist in North Korea. Yeah, look up some of the propaganda that she's responsible for and what it yes. says about the United States. Yeah, look it up. And yeah, see where what the it ones, looks like as as uh, Stephen said, you know, they're taught that it was the United States that invaded North Korea, which we weren't even in the country at the time. They invaded the South. We came in. Uh, from the Philippines and, and from Okinawa and, and Japan to try to help the uh, the South Koreans. 
And uh, the bottom line is, is that it's amazing to me uh, that these people that escape, the propaganda is so good, they can't get any information from outside their country. They are totally dependent upon the state news media. Uh, they control the Internet, everything. I mean, you can't get in there. And bottom line is, if you're found with a radio, by the way, and trying to listen in, uh, into the you know Radio Free Korea, which they they have over there uh, of, of uh, South Koreans broadcasting into North Korea. Uh, that's death. If they catch you with that, with, with that, uh, they don't know all that information. And you heard what Steven said. They take a year to try to get their feet underneath of them because everything is just opposite of what they've been taught. Yeah. They're taught that we're monsters. We kill babies, kill women and children, and they teach, teach them to be, to fear us. Yeah, just think that the Japanese taught the people on Okinawa that for just I've a few years. Before. Just a few years they taught that. And they were killing themselves to keep from being captured, uh, or in this case, being saved uh, by American men, uh, men and women who were fighting uh, over there and, and trying to defeat the Japanese. They killed themselves because they thought they were going to be raped and, and put into slavery when, in fact, as... Stephen so aptly put it, uh, they would have been getting given chocolate. Yeah. Always research the truth. Even in the Bible, Paul said, don't take what I tell you for granted. Take it back and study it like the brigands and study it to be true. I mean, I don't care what government's giving you information. Uh, research it, study it, and, and make sure that it's true because the government is not the uh, sole uh, uh, uh what I'm trying to say, they are not the sole place of justice, no matter what government it is. God's word is the is the source of authority for right and wrong. That's what I was looking for, the source of authority. Not any government is. So uh, I don't believe anything I hear without researching it. I get a kick out of Christopher Cuomo. You got to listen to what he said. Uh, CNN anchor Chris Cuomo defended his left-leaning network by throwing in a dig at President Donald Trump, he tweeted at one reader, you don't think having a president who lies about what is fake and actively maligns the free press out of convenience is a bigger reason for animosity towards us than how some decide to cover this? <laughs> that shows you how left they really are. That shows you how much they hate the president. You know, when I was growing up and Vietnam was going on and we would watch the news and Walter Cronkite and see what was going on in the world, it wasn't like that one side hated the other side. It was You actually watched TV and you heard news that was going on. There is no news on NBC or ABC or CN. All it is is bashing the other side constantly. I I have to listen to it going through airports and and uh, visiting different places and i can't believe it there's there's not any news in the news all it is is trying to bash donald trump and in anything that he says i i'm reading some of the the twitter remarks being made at cnn chris cumo again said this is a murderous regime that is stifling the pop population progress has to be evidenced by a lot more than this no and a guy comes back and says, if you want to make a genuine comparison to Stalin and Hitler, the North Korean regime is spot on. 
To pretend otherwise is pure ignorance or plain stupidity. Jonathan Schatt said, also stealing her country's meager wealth to live in opulence while they starve. starve. But they're doing it in style. You go, girl. And then Michelle Malkin set out a tweet, and it says, an exclusive at CNN investigative report on Kim Jong-un's sister's workout playlist, favorite boba tea flavors, and nighttime skincare routine. <laughs> Hashtag slay girlfriend. Boy, they just laid on CNN hard. I mean, laid it on. Brett Hume, does this puff piece mean she's gotten over her dictator brother's murder of her other brother? And David Mack, yes, queen. Work it as you oppress your people. Get that crime against humanity, girl. I mean, it just uh, people people realize what was going on here. But again, the CNN headline was Kim Jong-un's sister is stealing the show at the Winter Olympics. And then on top of that, they said she was doing it by winning a gold medal for her diplomatic dance, her warm smile, and her uh, great, great twinkly eyes. Nothing when I think they can, when, yeah, when, when I think I can't be amazed anymore by the media, <laughs> this really amazes me. All of them evidently are leftists. I mean, not just leftists, but they're they've left the country. They're so left. That's just the way yeah, we they knew are. they were socialists, like Bernie Sanders socialists. Yeah. They've been putting ice cream and cake on socialism for a long time, but ice cream and cake on flat out communism and a regime that oppresses its people and the only reason they rule is because people fear the prison camps yeah that's the only thing that keeps them in power yeah well that's the way that stalin and and mao and all of them work they all work and they got the same playlist that's exactly right i mean look they talk about the famine that killed all the russians think about the famine the potato famine and whatnot that happened uh, in russia they killed millions of their own people to get their way and you know Stalin and Lenin didn't think nothing about it. Well, once people get in power, no matter what it is, they will do almost anything to remain power. Some of them may have not as been as bad when they started out, but when you get someone in power, they get ruthless to keep it. Well, you remember, you want to talk propaganda. Let's go back to when we were in the Soviet, uh, when we were in Russia uh, for the uh, Olympics. And remember they had the opening night ceremony. Didn't see much about Lenin or Stalin then, did you? It was all there. They had that really long segment about World War II and about how they had fought back the Nazis. But as far as Stalin and Lenin, not so much stuff about them. Well, I'm sorry. I do the same thing. If I had that in my history, <laughs> I'd try to bury it a little bit also. No, but, they didn't bury it a little bit, man. They just didn't even bring it up. <laughs> but the bad th- one thing we know about history, we're not teaching our kids in the United States enough history. Yeah. Well, we need to be teaching them about the Civil War. Well, they need to know what the Federalist Papers are. If we do not teach history, history will repeat itself yeah. because people will start trying to b- teach a new generation that communism and socialism is the way to prosperity. Yeah. Let's get a break in. You know, the man that you're hearing, man, he's sitting here, Mr. Hopper is here today and it's good to have him here he'll be here good tomorrow to be here. too he's good yeah. it's two days in a row that's kind of cool <laughs> were, you, were you hanging out over at the the capitol for the first day of the session no 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 i had to come by to t- i was coming buddies? to little rock anyway but no i wasn't 
going over there with any hopes that we're going to be cutting anything or saving anything today. That ain't going to be Maybe. happening. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on that. That ain't going to be happening. Hey, don't forget about Arrow Plumbing. Arrow Plumbing, of course, uh, is the plumbers that I direct you to. That's who I use, and I've used them uh, consistently. Typically, you know, first time I used them back in 2003, uh, four, about 2004, had a pressure regulator uh, that had gone out. Didn't know that's what it was, but I had lost all the pressure on my showers and the water at the sinks and all of that. They uh, had two other uh, plumbing companies come out. One said, we think it's right here in the middle of your yard. Uh, we'll have to dig it, dig down to get to it. And, uh, they, they were going to bring a backhoe out and they were going to dig at it. And I had heard about Errol, about Earl. And I called over there, asked him to come out. I, I tell you, this is exactly how, how it happened. They pulled up in one of their trucks. The guy got out and asked me, okay, now you said you don't have any, you know, power at the, at the sinks and at your shower. I said, yeah, he's just, ah, that's a pressure regulator. I know exactly what's on. And I said, yeah, but where is it? He walked. From the truck around the front of my house, we're talking 10, 15 yards, went right in front of my house and says, right there, and reached down and took it out, went back to his truck, got the right one that he had in his truck, put it in, and I had full power again of water power, water pressure I needed. You were a believer at that point. Yeah, I you? was. That's why I've never used anybody else but Aero <laughs> Plumbing. They saved me thousands of dollars. And all kinds of you know destruction in my yard and stuff. I mean, it's it's amazing what they did that that day. It just showed that if you get the people who know what they're doing, uh, they can really save you a lot of hassle. And that's the same. That's the way Aero Plumbing is. Go to uh, aeroplumbing.net or just go to Google and put in Aero Plumbing. You'll find all the information about how to reach them right there. Back with you. Don't forget about. Uh, uh, David Lucas and his social security, uh, informational meetings that he'll begin again, March 29th and 30th. You can sign up right now by uh, calling 501-653-6690, 501-653-6690. Again, these are informational, uh, meetings only. They are there to give you up-to-date information they can help you avoid losing tens of thousands of dollars in lifetime benefits that are rightfully yours. They're not out to sell you anything. They don't sell you one doggone thing at, uh, at these. I've had some people, you know, write me, uh, you know, uh, emails and texts and say, and, you know, what are they selling? They're not selling anything. It's, it's not like you're going to get the, you know, the steak dinner uh, at River, you know, Riverside Steakhouse or whatever. And you got to listen to a two hour presentation about why you should use their, uh, methodology for saving money for your retirement. That's not what it is or a timeshare or whatever. It's nothing like that. It's going to be about a two hour, uh, presentation of everything you should know about getting your social security benefits. I got to go to one of them as well. I mean, I'm at that point now. You know, Thursday, I'll be 65. So uh, at 66, uh, I'm, quote, fully vested, so to speak, and I can start claiming my Social Security and get all of it, you know. But uh, I want to know, well, should I or shouldn't I kind of 
you got to have somebody that knows more about it than you do. Than you do. It's complicated <laughs> as it is. Nothing personal, Dave. Well, hey, I'm just telling you, that's not hard when no. it comes to Social Security. I'm just telling you. We don't you. have time to study all those rules and regulations. Yep. We have to make a living every day, and we have our own jobs and our own families. But you know, you've got to have somebody you can trust to, to get you through that stuff. A lot of time, the, the government wants you to wait as long as possible, and hopefully uh, maybe they won't have to pay you all of it. Yeah. Well, the bottom line is you get a workbook that you, when you go to this. Uh, as you sit there and go through this program, you fill in the, the workbook so you can go back and, and, and look at it some more and, and, uh, figure out, do you want to take it when you're, when, you know, at 62, when you can take it at, at, at the very beginning, or do you want to wait until, uh, they say that's the age you should take it at, or do you want to go to 70 and it, you're probably going to get about, it's about 30% more. I'm just gonna be working hard every day trying to make your check, make sure your check doesn't. I appreciate bounce. that. You got you got a you got a room for me at your house, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If just I need come to move over, over down the road, yeah. But uh, takes every every two people working. Gonna you know you're gonna be taking care of me. Yeah, yeah. You and and uh, a lot of other people, yeah, all the every, rest of the baby boomers, and everybody's free insurance. <laughs> oh Lord, <laughs> yeah. You won't have to worry about. Yeah, I guess because you'll be you're paying. You're going to be well, paying you Medicare. Paid into it. I paid Medicare. Yeah, I'm, still, you paid I'm into paying it. big money into Medicare yeah. right now. All right, 501-653-6690. That's the number you need to call so that you can get in on uh, the March 29th and 30th uh, and be be uh, able to go. It's $18. That's all it is, 18 bucks, And uh, you can get a whole lot of great uh, information. Well, R.D. Hopper is here. He's going to, you're going to stick around next hour? Yeah, I'll gonna, stay around for one more okay. hour. I'll stay around for one more we're gonna hour. Talk to, we're going to talk to Mark Lauder uh, right off the bat and talk about uh, the president uh, today unveiled his $1.5 trillion proposal for infrastructure. Now, I have to admit, I get a little bit nervous when I see $4 trillion budgets when we're talking about we got this huge, huge, huge debt that's sitting in, in, in the future and uh, interest rates are starting to inch up. As they inch up, the payment on that debt inches up as well. Billions from billions of dollars. So, R.D., stick around. We'll talk well, about all of that good. when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 96.5 FM, Monday edition, The Answer. Listen up, veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others, and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. Call me. I'm Kimbrough Stevens. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much-needed benefit, commonly referred to as aid and attendance. If you are a married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year, and we offer a no-risk consultation. So call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record, and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at Jurist Law Group, J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Call us at 501-400-8250 or Google me, Kimbrough Stevens, and we look forward to hearing from you. We move into the second hour of Dave Ellswick's show, 96.5 FM, The Answer, and we're back on Facebook Live. Had a little uh, equipment problem last week. We have fixed that, and now we are back up and talking to you on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash Dave Ellswick's show. We ask you to join us. 
You can watch in, and uh, even though we're not uh, yet uh, bringing up the phone for everybody to see our people as we're talking to them, uh, we are posting their pictures. So Mark Lauder is joining us today here in this half hour to talk about the uh, president's uh, new uh, infrastructure uh, bill that he's uh, asking for the, the, the Congress to pass. And uh, he was the former communications director for Vice President Pence, uh, former assistant uh, to uh, President uh, Trump. He joins us today, and you'll be able to see his picture. We're gonna we're gonna put it there. He is right. You know, Mark, you you've gotten better with age, brother. I don't remember you looking that good when you were with Pence. <laughs> well, it must be more sleep, right? <laughs> that must be the that might that must be the case. All right, so the president. Uh, came out today and and said, "Hey, I want I want to spend one and a half trillion dollars on uh, infrastructure." And uh, let me just play this little piece of audio that I've got from the president. It says uh, we're going to get the American people roads. So cut number two. <clears throat> cut number two. Dense and bipartisan plan that every member of Congress should support. I look forward to working with them, and uh, we're going to get. The American people, roads that are fixed and bridges that are fixed. And if for any reason they don't want to support it, hey, that's going to be up to them. Uh, what was very important to me was the military. What was very important to me was the tax cuts. And what was very important to me was regulation. This is of great importance, but it's not nearly in that category because the states will have to do it themselves if we don't do it. But I would like to help the states out, and we're doing that with a very big investment. All right, now this is the budget that the president's talking about that he's uh, proposing. I think it was $4 trillion total, $1.5 trillion for infrastructure. Uh, Mark, what do you think? What is Congress saying? I mean, you you, you keep your uh, your head to the railroad tracks. You hear what's down the railroad tracks. What are you hearing? Well, I think the, the big thing right now is just is we have to understand we're talking about $200 billion in federal money that will go along with state, local, public-private partnerships where appropriate that will bring the grand total to $1.5 to $1.7 trillion. So it's not all federal funding. Uh, but here, you know, before I, before I went to work for the White House and the president and vice president, I worked mostly in state and local government yep. for mayors and governors. And I'll tell you, and you know this well, so well too, Dave, that roads mean jobs. We're talking about roads, bridges, ports. Airports, those are the kinds of things that companies invest around. They help get products to and from a the factory and to the retail outlet. And it's what gets that's what makes America move. And that's what the president is talking about. It also creates jobs because obviously somebody's gonna have to do all that work. All right, can you explain to my listeners how this is different than President Obama saying we're gonna put all this money into infrastructure for shovel ready jobs? I mean uh, it, this is a totally different thought process that's coming from the Trump administration. Yeah, well, it's important to remember, too, that most of those announcements under the previous administration, they were just announcements. Nothing ever, you know, <laughs> many things never even got done. You're right. But what what the president is talking about is actually working with the people who actually do the work, which are governors and mayors, county administrators, because as we all know, I mean, these roads, bridges, ports, and airports, they're not the property of the federal government. They are maintained, built, improved, expanded by people back home, 
by people in the local units of government and at the state levels of government. So what the president is talking about doing is using that $200 billion and giving it to the states so they can use that money along with their own local sources of funding, potentially even some public-private partnerships where appropriate, and getting projects done. We're not going to tell the local people what to do. Let, let the local people decide what, what are the roads and the bridges or what projects need to be done most, what will better impact our communities or help us attract new jobs or keep the jobs we have, and let them make those decisions at the local level. So, Mark, what you're saying is kind of what Goldsmith said when he was uh, mayor of, of Indianapolis and uh, was talking to everybody about the new federalism. This is a federalism play, correct? Absolutely. And that's why you saw today, you saw that the president with governors from around the country. I know that he has talked to mayors as well. And uh, the vice president, obviously, is a former governor of Indiana. Mm-hmm. He knows this process very well. And, and this is how things should be getting done. And, and the other thing I'll point out is this is not just about America's cities. and It's not just about America's highways. Fifty billion of this money is going to be earmarked to help develop rural America, where they are falling behind on infrastructure projects, but also things like broadband, because that's the new kind of infrastructure that we need to be investing in. And that's what the president wants to help governors and county administrators and folks out there in the towns across our country invest in their rural communities to make sure that we, that they stay strong as well. All right. Now, Mark, you, you worked as assistant to the president, and let's say you were with him uh, right now. Would you, would you talk to him about putting pressure on elected officials to take the money that is already being put into the coffers uh, for roads and highways and getting rid of the money that is being siphoned off from that program to other programs that have nothing to do with roads and bridges. I mean, they're, they're spending it on museums and they're spending it on walking trails and biking paths and all the rest. Would you, would you say that that's gotta be a part of this, that somebody has to go over there and say, look guys, let's, let's tell the American people we can be trusted with this money. Well, in terms of museums and things, yes, I would definitely agree with that. But I'll, I'll tell you, and, and as you well know, I mean, I worked for the city of Indianapolis for a number of years. And one of the things, and even some of the surrounding communities, not the big cities, but the, the towns that, that surrounded, uh, you know, the city of Indianapolis and in many other places, they realize that we have to look at transportation differently. We've got to include bike lanes. We've got to include walking trails because many of these communities – their best hope at growing, sustaining, is to becoming great places to live. And people nowadays don't just want a road and a bridge. They also want an ability to walk, to bike, to uh, you know, to use other forms of transportation to get to and from uh, their work, their schools, their churches. And so we need to be holistic about it and let those communities that believe those are important projects to take those – here in the Northeast, where uh, you know I'm currently living, you know, mass transit is very important. In some communities, that's important as well. In fact, you know, I would tell you that when you look at the Amazon uh, headquarters that I know a lot of cities and areas are competing for, access to mass transit was one of the requirements. So if you're one of those communities 
that's currently being looked at for a that project or another project that hasn't even been announced and is years down the pike. Having that pool of money where you can say, we can compete, we can possibly land this new investment, these new jobs, if we could just connect that to this in multiple ways, that's the kind of flexibility the president's talking about wanting to to provide to our local leaders. Hey, Mark, we appreciate that. Hey, I'm R.D. Hopper. Thanks for being on the show with us today. I'm a former county quorum court, a small business owner, and a, remem- a member of the re- Republican Party. But uh, one of the main infrastructures in the state of Arkansas we're struggling with right now is our 911 system. And several states have that problem right now. The 911 system was funded off the old landlines. And with the landlines going down, the funding has gone away to support our 911 systems. And most counties wasn't really organized. They may have five or six uh, call centers in one county, which is very inefficient. And uh, the state of Arkansas really needs some infrastructure and some some guidance on putting together a 911 call center. Is there any way that any of this money could be earmarked for that direction or could be used for something like that? Uh, I'd hate to comment yes or no because I honestly don't know the answer uh, in terms of this infrastructure. Uh, so I, I wouldn't want to uh, to go to that level. But I do know that there are federal programs. And and I'll tell you, you're not alone in this. And many states have also tackled this issue previously, uh, including uh, my home state of Indiana, when it comes to needing to consolidate and update and modernize uh, our 911 emergency response systems. And you're right, because of new technologies and because of the new way that Americans are communicating we're not living off our landlines anymore. Uh, you know, that funding system has been adjusted or needs to be adjusted. And so, you know, what I would suggest is that you take a look at some what some of the other states are doing. Uh, if there is a federal partnership available, great. If there are state-based improvements that can be made, I know there's a number of uh, places out there that have been doing it and doing it well. And uh, but I'm sure that, you know, the folks over at the Department of Justice, the FCC um, and even the national law enforcement organizations, the national state legislative associations, they can help point folks in the right direction to how they can help uh, rebuild that system, because it is something that is so vital to our basic national security. So, Mark, is this going to be a push uh, as far as the roads go and things of that nature? What we've seen in the past as the federal government says, hey, We'll give you a buck. Yeah, you got you guys spend uh, some money at the state level, and we'll match it. Maybe give you a little bit extra from the federal government. Is is that how this is basically going to work out? And and are we going to see some work uh, from the Congress uh, to to get rid of some of the overbearing regulations, or is the president just going to take care of that with executive orders? I think the president will do what he can through executive and administrative action since many of these fall into regulatory areas, and we're already rolling back, I think, 22 regulations for every new one. Right. But the president has said, you know, there it takes too long. There are cases where it's taking multiple years, 10 years, in one case, 17 years to get a permit from the federal government. That's got to get down to about two years, and maybe the president even said today possibly even one year. That way, when the need is there, that the federal government is is the partner 
on the road project and not the roadblock to the mm-hmm. project. Yeah, that may, that makes a whole lot of sense. That that's been a big a big problem. How about uh, and last question for you: the the whole uh, regula- regulations that we have that so many union members must work on a road project and things of that nature, which drives costs up. Yeah, that that is a that is a federal law that would have to be dealt with uh, by Congress, and you know, so I'm not exactly sure if that's part of the part of the issue. And when you use federal funds, there are requirements uh, for that. I would hope, but you know, to be honest with you, the answer on on something like that longer term is going to be making sure we have more Republicans in Congress. Mm-hmm. We should not be driving up costs through unnecessary uh, regulations and requirements, you know, nowhere else would it be acceptable that the federal government or any government pay more than they should. We should have private companies out there competing to deliver a quality project at the best price. And so we need to basically make sure that we're freeing all factors and all sectors of our, of our economy to be able to compete for that. But this is a great start. It's a good down payment on. I mean, look, the president's a builder. We know that, and so this is something he's very passionate about. And I and I hope that Congress. This is all infrastructure has always been bipartisan. I hope we don't just see more resistance from the Democrats. They actually come forward and want to work with us to help address these critical needs in our country. I'm with you, Mark, on that. I really am. I can take us back to the 70s and uh, and talk about how Luger, when he was the uh, mayor of Indianapolis, came up with Unigov. And, you know, people should go back and look at that model. But it's a good example of why having more uh, Republicans in place and less Democrats is, uh, is, is going to give you a whole lot more solutions. Uh, that's taking you back a little bit. I don't even know if you remember Unigov. Oh, absolutely, I do, and I had the and I had the privilege of working for the mayor of Indianapolis many, many years later, and uh, know Senator Luger very well. What a great leader he was, not only of the city, but on behalf of our entire nation, with his work uh, mm-hmm. in the United States Senate, and uh, he he was definitely uh, among the greats. Well, Mark, I appreciate your time. What do you, what do you you're just up now uh, working and uh, you know out talking for the president? Is that what you're basically doing now? Uh, spend most of my time out there uh, talking to uh, to great folks like you and doing the national <laughs> media, um, but then also I do uh, I do some consulting for uh, corporations, other political candidates. But I spend most of my time out there talking about the uh, president and the vice president and their outside political efforts. Well, do me a favor if you make it to CPAC, stop by. All right, I'll be there broadcasting live. I will try. All right, Mark. We'll talk to you later. Thanks so much, Mark Lauder. Uh, talking about the president and what he wants to do uh, as far as, uh, you know, working on this infrastructure. I'll let you know, Mark and I do know each other, and we have argued over bicycle paths before. That's why I asked that question. He has not changed in his (laughs) thought process, Uh, but I didn't think that everybody wanted to hear me and him talk about going back and forth about walking paths and bicycle paths. I'll tell you, talking about more roads, that infrastructure money has to be spent very wisely. Uh, I'm for updating some of the roads that we have in Arkansas and fixing some of the bridges, but Arkansas already has more miles uh, of road per capita than California has. But see that, and 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 RD, that's a huge area 
for discussion with the legislature. I mean, right. they need to sit down and come up with a different model of how we're going to deal with our, uh, our roads here in the state. The money needs to go where the cars are at. I mean, I know we have to keep the roads in the rural area in good shape because the, the, the state is still making a lot of money off of farming. However, you don't need four lane highways typically. Right. You don't, you don't need four lane highways from, I'm sorry, from Dover, Arkansas to Jasper, Arkansas. And you know, highway five, I'm from Mountain View. You don't need a $3 million bridge to take one curve out of a road on highway five between, uh, between Concord, Arkansas and Mountain View, Arkansas. I mean, we need to update some of the roads that we've got instead of continually building new stuff all the time. There's one thing I learned in county government. If you build it, you must maintain it. So the more infrastructure you build, you are raising your taxes for eternity because once you build it, you own it. And you have to keep it up. Yeah, Mark. At some point, Mark made that point early on when we were talking. He said, "This is going to a lot of this that the program, uh, the, uh, the program that the president is talking about. He understands that if you build it, you're saddled with it. It That's becomes right. your horse to ride from there on out. Hey, we've got enough horses to ride. I believe in the state of Arkansas right now. I don't think we need to, we need to be adding any more to our stock, but." Our, the state of Arkansas can either take the money that we've got and maintain what we have or build new. And I believe we need to quit building new all the time and maintain what we've got. All right. Let's talk about PI Roofing Home Solutions. Got to get to our first break here. We're late into the first break. PI Roofing and Home Solutions, your roof leak detectives. Don't forget about them. Uh, Joel Johnson, of course, is the uh, owner, proprietor, main bottle washer of uh, PI roofing. And here's what he noticed. He noticed this. People would call him to get their roofs fixed that uh, were letting in water into their houses. They could find the leaks and they could fix them. Uh, But the folks were saddled with the problem of having to go out and find somebody that would come to their house and do the painting of the staining that had happened because the water got in, replacing of insulation of the insulation that was destroyed by the water, uh, same thing with drywall and all the rest. And when we talk about those three things, we're talking about typically three different contractors. So Joe Johnson decided instead of you having to look for three different contractors to do a small job, which they typically don't like to do, they want to do a bigger job. Uh, he hired people to come and work for him. And that's what they do. So he's, he's expanded his business model to not only fix the hole in your roof, but to fix the damage that the hole in the roof allowed the water to come in and the damage that that water did. So if you need painting, they're there to paint. If you need drywall repair, they can do the drywall repair. The insulation, do that. If you need turbines, uh, you know, replaced because, uh, you know, hail just knocked the living tar out of them, they can do that as well. All you have to do is get a hold of PI Roofing. That's piroofing.com at uh, PI Roofing on Google. We are back. Uh, it was funny coming out of that break. I started talking and I looked at the clock and we were already into Fox News before I even came back <laughs> because I ran long in that first segment. I, I told everybody I had, we had Mark on and we talked to him deep into the first segment. 
But uh, Artie Hopper is here. Of course, uh, he's the owner of Sonny's uh, Auto Salvage. You hear me talk about them constantly. That's not why he's on. I had him on. I, I've asked him to be a part. He's been a part of the power panel for how long now? A couple of years? Yes, sir. Yeah, because uh, he's a small business owner. And I needed a small, I felt that I needed a small business owner uh, to sit in and, and to be talking from that point of view. There's a lot of small business owners in this state. In fact, most Business owners are small business owners in Arkansas. Yeah, we get left out of the conversation a lot of times at the Capitol or anywhere else. It seems like we're a large part of the economy in the state of Arkansas, but we're a second thought when it comes to legislation. Yeah, they're more interested in what Walmart thinks. Yeah, yeah. Or Axiom or whoever it might be. You know how it works. All right, so we were just paying attention a moment ago during the break uh, to a, a graphic that they had. They had the debt clock up on uh, on fox tv and maybe you've noticed this rd as much as i've noticed this but now that trump is president and the republicans are trying to do and push forth his ideas of what needs to be done in the united states the whole idea of uh, the national debt has kind of been put to the side okay right now we're what are we at we're a little over 10 trillion is that what we're yeah, now. that's what it was showing. Was it, it was a little over ten trillion. Uh, the the president's budget is four trillion, but it broke it down to uh, how much as how much citizens own uh, of the debt. For instance, uh, a typical American citizen owes a little over sixty three thousand uh, dollars towards the national debt. However, not every citizen is a taxpayer. So what do the taxpayers own? Oh, like myself and RD and you probably listening to the show and, and Russ, how about nearly $171,000 per person? That's wow. the taxpayer, 171,000. Remember a few years back and, and, and rightly so we were uh, talking about how Obama was running up the national debt, which he did hugely i mean he spent like a drunken sailor and no offense to drunken sailors because you can take offense at that uh the bottom line was that uh you know everybody was yelling about that but now that quote there is a republican in the white house suddenly the republicans have gotten quiet except for Rand paul you know yeah. Rand paul has been screaming about this yet still again how about when the republicans sent it senators in the house took over in the state of arkansas two sessions ago what did you hear from them oh there's so much waste in state government there are so many duplications of agencies we're going to be able to cut the state budget by 15 percent without anybody losing a job or anybody losing any services we're just going to come in and modernize everything Mm -hmm. and did did you hear that same story yes i did and uh, I've always said, hey, look, I just want a 10 percent. You can hey, I'll cut take five. Well, how I mean, about coming back and having this year's the same as last year's? Yeah, well, how about just how about 10 percent? Ten, there's 10 at least 10 percent waste in our in our state government. I'll never. I had Charlie Collins on one time. On the, I don't know if you were there or not. It was over during the session and then uh, the power panel was there and Collins was on. And I said, you know. Charlie, if I was governor, I'd cut state government by 25%. I thought he was going to have a heart attack right there on the air. I really did. 
I mean, he kind of rubbed his chest a little bit, and he says, you can't do that. <laughs> that would be unrepublican. Hey, but the only way a business or a government or anybody can cut anything is show up and say, listen, we have a five-year goal of cutting uh, 10% in five years. This year, everyone's budget is cut by 3%. Everybody go back and do the math and make it work. And guess what? They will make it work, but that's not happening in our lifetime. After the Republicans have taken over in the state of Arkansas, I can't tell the difference in the speed of the growth. And, you know, the bigness, the biggest program, the biggest growth of government we ever got was when we got $1.8 billion sent from the federal government every year to the DHS for health insurance for people that aren't sick. Mm-hmm. That's $1.8 billion now, the Republicans. Uh, well, of course, we had a Republican House and Senate when we got that passed, and that was with Barack Obama. Yeah, I know. I understand. So, uh, well, let, let's talk about Medicaid expansion. The uh, Dem Gas has an article that came out, I believe this was uh, that yesterday. Yeah, it was yesterday, Sunday's article. Michael Wickline had the byline on it. Medicaid expansion high on Arkansas's fiscal session to-do list. Uh, Let me just read the first couple of paragraphs, and I'll move into the story itself. Uh, Ahead of Arkansas's fiscal legislative session that starts today, supporters of the state's version of Medicaid expansion have been urging Senate critics of the controversial program to vote to fund it once lawmakers convene. The program provides health insurance about 285,000 low-income people. Appropriation bills granting spending authority to state agencies require more than a simple majority for approval. The Arkansas Constitution requires 27 votes in the 35-member Senate to approve them, but the Senate has three vacant seats right now because of the November death of Greg Standridge from Russellville and resignations of Eddie Joe Williams, Republican of Cabot, in November, and then uh, Jake Files, Republican of Fort Smith, uh, effective Friday of last week. So let's take a look at those three people. All three of them voted for the Medicaid expansion program. Standridge voted for it. Eddie Joe Williams voted against it before he voted for it, as the old saying goes. And Jake Files voted for it as well so right now that you you lost those three votes those plus votes that means you look at this and you got you're going to need 24 votes i take that back you're gonna need 30 votes of to get it in okay they're gonna be pressed all right so they're they're, and this has been hopefully this has been a, a a battle constantly now i will share with folks I won't say who I I was talking to RD about this. I had two very solid conservative lawmakers who called me and were asking me my opinion about what they should do. And here's what they said. They can vote against it during the session and they can hold up. Uh, the whole thing dealing with the Medicaid expansion. However, when they looked at the people that were running for these positions, 
they looked at them and said, the, per, the people that are running for Standridge, and I know there was a big Bailey thing going on today, but uh, and, and we're going to talk about that in the next hour with folks from uh, uh, Conduit uh, for Action. Uh, they're going to talk about that. That's a guy that they're really behind uh, and would like to, to see him get elected. But uh, we'll, we'll talk to them about the, they feel like uh, the governor has been playing and meddling in that particular election. We'll talk about that. But if one of the other two of the three that are running for that position wins, figure that it's a plus vote for Medicaid expansion. And uh, after having on uh, Hill, now Coy has never been on my show. They, those are the two that are running uh, for Eddie Joe Williams' old post. Um, Hill never absolutely said what he would do, but from reading between the lines, I think he's a vote for just yeah, my, my, my feeling about it. Okay. That's, that's what he's going to do. So these two, uh, very conservative guys say to me, Dave, you know, what should we do? Here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking I'm going to vote for, because if I vote against, and then these two people get in, then there's going to be a special session called the governor's going to call a special session because we're holding up the, the budget basically. And those people are going to be put into those positions and then they're going to have the necessary votes to get it anyway. And because of that, I don't want to cause a special session because that's going to cost the people of Arkansas, uh, additional monies to run a special session. What do you think? And I just, here's my, you want to hear what my answer was? I'll tell you exactly what my answer to them was. You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. <laughs> if you vote for it, there's going to be people going to call you a traitor. And if you vote uh, against it, and then we got to have a special session, and then it, they, you guys get together, and it takes about three hours for you to, you know, pass it anyway because of the new people that come in then you're going to be damned because you cost the taxpayers money and they're, they're going to use it against you either way you go. So, you know, pick your poison. Well, I'd have to pick my poison and vote my conscience and vote the platform that I run on. If you run on a platform, a smaller government and less dependency on the federal government and, uh, and, and people's right to choose, then, uh, you'd have to vote against it. But, uh, I wouldn't want it on my record voting for, you know, the governor's Obamacare, Medicaid expansion. Of course, I'm out there trying to hire people, you know, to work. And whenever you've got uh, people incentivized by not working and working less, I talk to ladies that work in hotels and she doesn't have insurance and she has to scrimp and do it because she works 40 hours a week. But she's got people that's working the system that are only working 20 or 22 hours a week that have free health insurance. So they are incentivized to work less hours and, well, so they can keep their program. And then when they talk about a work requirement, uh, and that the, the government, the, the governor pushes, and I'm glad to see that they're, they're going for that. Okay. However, I think it needs to be tightened up a whole lot more than what they have for it. I mean, I have had J.R. Davis on the air, sure. you know, a, a lot. And he talked to, uh, talks about that. And I've questioned him extensively about, well, what's work? Okay. You cannot ha have a job and, uh, go a certain amount of time. All right. I think we all will agree 
you can't expect a person if they lose their job to pick up another one like that. Okay. It might take a, a couple of three, four months, especially with the unemployment that we have now where there's a possibility of having more jobs. But, uh, I guess I I'm, I'm concerned about when they say, well, if the person goes out and they, um, I don't know, uh, they volunteer to work for a nonprofit oh, yeah, that's work. X amount of, yeah, that's X amount of hours that, that counts as, as working or, uh, if, uh, I think it said, you know, if a woman's pregnant, hey, yeah. you know, that, that counts. And, and I, I, I just think it needs to be tightened up more. I don't think work you can tighten work. it up. A train wreck is a train wreck. You know, you can't get $1.975 billion from the federal government to buy a socialist uh, free health insurance for people that have nothing's wrong with them, $1.975 billion, and spend it conservatively. The, the only way to make government more conservative is shrink the size of it. Well, I agree it, with that's that. That's the shrink the size of it. There is no way you can justify uh, voting for a, a socialist program that cost the federal government $1.975 billion. Arkansas is only having to pay 5% right now. Most typical government programs, the state pays 2080 pays 2080 obama got the republicans hooked by paying 100 percent for five years right now we're in the five percent when we go in the 10 percent what are we going to do what are we going to do when we go into the 20 to the 20 percent range so uh this train is headed to the station and all these people are doing are just waiting till it gets closer to the station to try to throw the switch okay now i got a question for you sure in this article uh, according to a document that Senator Jimmy Hickey, Republican of Texarkana, gave to the Demgas, and that the Human Services Department spokesman Amy Webb said is from the governor's office, quote, the elimination of Arkansas Works, which currently covers 285,000 Arkansans, would cut $2.09 billion from the state's economy. For the state alone, the cost of eliminating Arkansas Works is estimated to be an additional $88.6 million in general revenue, the document says. If the Arkansas Works program ended this year, the proposed budget for fiscal 2019 would rise to $5.7 billion. The increased costs would eliminate the projected surplus of $64 million and instead require $25 million in cuts to state operations. The document says, you know what? I don't have any problem with those cuts to state operations because I think they can be made. Look at this. We could cut a, a $1.975 billion program and only cost us $100 million. Hey, they have raised this DHS, the state of Arkansas, for the last five years, $125 million a year to help cover the administrative cost of this program. They've raised it $125 million every year. If we could cut a program of almost $2 billion and only cost us $88 million to cut it, how cut ab- it. How about if I, it. I try and get uh, Amy Webb on tomorrow during the power panel? Yeah, that would be great. Have, have her come in and talk about uh, the elimination of Arkansas works, uh, and how much quote it would cost. It would save us. Well, they, they say it costs us. 
You said it saves. They say it costs. Let's get them on, and we can we can talk back and what, forth. What they're talking about is the tax. Arkansas gets to tax that $1.75 billion. They get to tax that money a percentage to administrate it. So if we lose the $1.975 billion, we lose the tax to it. So when we lose that tax, then we move, lose the administrative part. And them saying that that would wreck the state budget, uh, when you look at all the jobs that we could cut from DHS, we would save more. I think it's... I think it's a bold-faced lie. Right. Quickly, i got to get to a break. Uh, the increased costs add up to about $224 million. Subtract the state's projected costs from the program, about $136 million in fiscal 2019, and the difference is $88.6 million. That, according to the document, hospitals would incur more uncompensated care costs with the University of Arkansas for medical scientists alone saying it would be $53 million more every year. And uh, the governor says, we want to have a straightforward figure on it, and it is what it is. Said Hutchinson said he would tell opponents of the Medicaid expansion that the program, quote, is something that's ingrained into the healthcare system of our state, and it is ingrained into our economy, unquote. Boy, Obama's so much smarter than the governor. I tell you what, I guess Obama's got them hooked, line and sinkered in, and they can't figure out to get out of it. Of course, how much power do you get to be able to do out, de- deal out $1.975 billion every year? How much power does that give a governor? Great article, by the way, by Michael Wickline. Yeah. All right, don't forget about uh, getting in and, and taking the uh, program that david lucas has about social security pro, uh, benefits 18 dollars. get your workbook get your two-hour program march 29th or 30th seats are filling up quickly call today to get your uh, seat reserved 501-653-6690 501-653-6690 learn all the ins and outs about social security so that you don't end up losing tens of thousands of dollars in lifetime benefits that are rightfully yours. That number again, 501-653-6690. All right, back. Got a final about a minute here before we got to take a break for Fox News. Again, let me remind you, Fox News did a breakdown of the national debt and said that in the national debt as of right now, (laughs) it's been what about 10 or 15 minutes so several hundred thousand dollars down the road now uh for every citizen of the united states uh, means you owe sixty three thousand dollars on the national debt however not everybody is paying uh those who are paying taxes uh to the government it's one hundred seventy thousand dollars per taxpayer gotta think about that i know we need to work on our infrastructure but how about we go into the federal government and touch, you know, we can get rid of the mohair, uh, you know, subsidy and perhaps we can get rid of the sugar subsidy and some other things and help pay for this this way. And, and I'm with the president instead of giving all this money to other foreign countries that hate us, let's turn all that money back in to working on our infrastructure. I'd be all about that. I think $7 trillion, he said over the last, you know, odd years, just keep that in mind. We got Conduit for Action next on the Dave Ellswick Show.
Listen up, veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others, and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. Call me. I'm Kimbrough Stevens. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much-needed benefit, commonly referred to as aid and attendance. If you are a married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year, and we offer a no-risk consultation. So call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record, and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at Jurist Law Group, J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Call us at 501-400-8250 or Google me, Kimbrough Stevens, and we look forward to hearing from you. All right, Conduit for Action joins us today on the Dave Ellswick Show, and uh, Brenda and Joe are with us, I believe. I know Brenda's going to be there. Is Joe there, Brenda? Yes, he is. All right, so everybody is here and accounted for R.D. Hopper in the studio with me as well. Uh, we just spent the last half hour talking about the Sunday article, Medicaid expansion high on Arkansas's fiscal session to-do list. And, uh, again, the uh, byline for that article by Michael Wickline. I, being a former journalist, I always like to give the bylines because you work hard to be able to have your name put at the top of uh, of an article. Uh I, I just want to touch base with you guys on something that's in this article and, and try to help us understand what it, what's being uh, said here. In the article, Senator Jimmy Hickey of uh, Texarkana said he's leaning toward voting for the appropriation. He said that, quote, since it has been such a lightning rod, unquote, issue, he's trying to ensure that program skeptical senators have all the pertinent information, including the general revenue cost of eliminating the program. And I'm sure you guys have already heard this, but just for our listeners, let me read this segment of this uh, story. According to a document that Hickey provided to the Demgas and that Human Services Department spokesman Amy Webb said is from the governor's office, quote, the elimination of Arkansas Works, which currently covers 285,000 Arkansans, would cut $2.09 billion from the state's economy. Quote, for the state alone, the cost of eliminating Arkansas Works is estimated to be an additional $88.6 million in general revenue, unquote. If the Arkansas Works program ended this year, the proposed budget for fiscal 2019 would rise to $5.7 billion, the increased costs would eliminate the projected surplus of $64 million and instead require $25 million in cuts to state operations. And it goes on from there. Bottom line is what they're saying in this, uh, this uh, paper from DHS is that without Arkansas Works, the state loses money. Your all's thoughts on that? Now, that is an interesting concept. So by that logic... If we put everybody on welfare, we would be doing great in the state, I suppose. Is that, is that how that works? The I, more welfare you get, the better your state's economy does? That's, that's what I'm hearing. Well, did you see what the governor said in the article on Sunday? There was a very significant uh, 
a quote from him that I, I read earlier that I, I find uh, uh, very interesting as, as well. Uh, when he said, you know, that this is part of everything now. I mean, uh, he wanted a straightforward figure. He said, it is what it is. Uh, and here's the quote. Hutchinson said he will tell opponents of the Medicaid expansion that the program, quote, is something that's ingrained into the health care system of our state and it is ingrained into our economy, unquote. That is a very strong statement that there's nothing you can do, basically, is what he's saying. I don't buy that, but that's what the governor's saying. Yeah, that'll, that'll be good to uh, uh, discourage anybody from voting against it, because how in the world can we survive as a state without welfare? I can't, I can't envision it. Well, I would say that it might be a hiccup for the insurance companies if they did not get the two point four billion dollars or whatever. I mean, we're looking at. Well, just think what it would do for campaign finances. It would just dry up. But I mean, Blue Cross Blue Shield. Let's just talk about Arkansas Blue Cross Blue Shield. They are a nonprofit, which means they do not pay Arkansas income tax. Okay, we do get a two point five percent premium tax on insurance premiums, Mm -hmm. which we know that the insurance companies pass along to the consumer so that they do not pay them even when when it is the state or the federal government paying the premiums. So if you just do the math about the 285,000 they now have as enrolled or the 247,000 or it might have been 267,000, 367,000, I mean, First of all, you've got to realize these numbers do not belong to us. They belong to the people who want to recite what we are to believe because they change every month. But when you're talking about 285000 enrollees times $578 per month, and most of that is premiums, it's the insurance companies that will have to figure out another way to find the additional $2 billion a year in Arkansas. So our governor is saying that is our health care system and our economy. Arkansas is now officially declared by its conservative, quote conservative, Republican governor that Arkansas is a socialist state run by the insurance companies. That's what it says. Yeah. Well, he said that uh, basically Obamacare is ingrained in. Yeah, brought to you by the Republican leadership. Okay, so it's very sad. I mean, if you're if you worked hard to get these Republicans elected, and you want smaller or you know we we just want to see a trend toward reduce the size of the growth of government. I mean, we've all said we want to reduce the size of government. I guess we have to realize. Let's just start talking about the reducing the size of the growth. Well, Charlie Charlie Collins wants to bend the cost curve, which you know I don't even know what the hell that means. They they bring that out. I think they have a circular excuse list that you know they go to excuses, and when when we are able to disprove what they're saying, they move to the next excuse. And a new and list they, of numbers. Yeah, too. a new list of numbers, and then they eventually every three months or so they they just recirculate and start at the top again. And it, I guess that works for politicians. Yeah, I mean the bottom. We look at what the DHS people and the Hutchinson administration is giving out. Let me, there's one other uh, paragraph here. The general revenue cost of eliminating Arkansas works 
is based in part on an estimated 86,500 people in the program instead signing up for traditional Medicaid. The result would be nearly $149 million in additional costs because of the lower federal match for traditional Medicaid, nearly $42 million more for a handful of state agencies that would incur more costs from the elimination of the Medicaid expansion program and the loss of $33 million from a tax on insurance premiums that we've talked about that were cr- uh, created by the expansion to support uh, Medicaid. So you, you add up uh, about $224 million, which that's what comes up from those numbers, subtract the state's projected cost for the program, about $136 million, and the difference is $88.6 million, according to the document. R.D.? Well, they have been having to raise DHS $125 million a year ever since they established this Barack Obama's program. So every year we've been getting, uh, it started out $1.8 billion. The last figure I heard was $1.975 billion. So every year we've been getting almost $2 billion a year from the federal government. We tax that two billion dollars and we put it in the general fund so we can take health care money or tax money and use it to pave roads and do it for other things that we're, it's not even supposed to be used for so if this is so profitable why is the state budget going up every year if what you're doing is is so profitable then the state budget ought to be going down we should be able, we should be cutting taxes so you've got this glorious program that brings two billion dollars worth of free money to the state every year and it's so great we get to tax it and then we take that tax money when we tax the two billion dollars we get it to put it in the general revenue fund then why does the governor need to raise our ta- wholesale tax eight percent so we can pave the roads you know make up your mind i mean well, they, it, they, they do want it both ways don't they rd how are you doing buddy i'm i'm doing fine i'm doing fine you know uh it's the same rhetoric that we hear every that we hear every year. If it's so great, you know, I made a, a bet with somebody who may be in this room that this Republican governor would grow the budget more in his first four years than the last Democrat did in his last four years, and it looks like that my bet is safe right now. Did you see the article in the U.S. News uh, World Report? Last Friday, uh, February 9th, it said that uh, our cost per, per enrollee is up 14% just in one month. It's up 14% in one month. Well, Yeah, it's gone from $578 per enrollee. I mean, excuse me, it's gone from $505 per enrollee to $578 per enrollee. Well, and that's, that's at least double what it costs on traditional Medicaid per person per month according to the DHS testimony, which uh, there's another figure that's volatile, to say the least. But, but one of the things, Dave, that, that I, don't, I think is, is missed in a lot of these conversations when you start talking about you know, federal money, this money, that money, it's all tax money, number one. Yes. Number two is we've got a dependency being created for a third of our population. They're, they're accustomed to dependency. And then it also moves the entire population towards accepting socialized medicine. Well, yeah, I mean, incremental step to that. 
why in the world Republicans would support a program like that and fight tooth and nail to keep it just blows my mind. Uh, here's That's the, exactly here, what our governor said, though, in that statement that, that um, it's you know, ingrained. Said, that it's ingrained into Arkansas's economy, it's ingrained into Arkansas's health care. It makes you want to cry. I mean, it's really sad. R.D., right. when we had on the Republicans that were talking about how we should be able to have a Republican answer by changing Obamacare. What was it? What was the point that I was always making with them? It was a simple one. You start a program, it never goes away. That was, that is the thing that Reagan always said, the nearest thing that you'll come to immortality in our lifetime is a government program. Cause once they start, they never get rid of them. And uh, no matter what the Republicans were thinking about doing and how they wanted to change it, they were going along with starting a brand new program that was going to be here forever. And I go with the governor's statement. I was right. It's ingrained into the state now, period. Well, I hate to be a defeatist here, but I'm just saying, I don't see it going anywhere. So the candidates in your districts, I know both of you live in Senate District 29 and the elections tomorrow. How will the Democrat, excuse me, the Republican candidates, you know, vote on this issue if they're R.D. and I talked about that earlier in the show. It is my feeling that uh, I believe that Hill is going to win. I think Ricky Hill will win this election. And and, and I'm not saying that uh, that's a given. Everybody needs to go out and vote. I want everybody to understand that. Go out and vote whether you want to vote for Coy or you want to vote for Hill. Uh, I believe that Coy will support it. I believe Hill will support it. That, that, that was our understanding by, by our uh, asking. Well, just to give you guys some encouragement to go do your patriotic duty, uh, I have Hill already, told me that I've already done RD mine when RD ran for that spot. Yeah. And that would have to mean that he supported RD's position of being against the Medicaid expansion. Well, it would certainly not mean that. Well, I mean, I, I agree with you, Joe. <laughs> you know how these people do. How about the Russellville election? Let's talk about that. Yeah, that's Bob that. Bailey. Darn sure isn't going to vote for it. Yeah. Let me, let me just bring up one, a couple, one more thing. I, I've been called by, and, and not by the ones that are in the paper, but I've been called by a couple of very solid, if you if you had to call call on a Republican vote for a conservative issue, that they would vote conservative. But here is where they say they have a quandary. All right? And, and I, I want you to hear what they had to say to me. Do I need to take a break? Somebody else got a phone? We'll get to them in a minute. Uh, they said to me, that Dave, look, I can vote against this and we can probably hold it up during this session. But the people that we're seeing that are running for these other offices, which are, uh, you know, the one that we're seeing in Russellville, the one that we're seeing up in the Lono County area. And then, uh, later it's going to be files old seat in the Senate. Uh, those people are going to vote for this program. So we could hold it off and make them form, uh, force them into a special, a uh, special session and they'll be able to pass it with no problem whatsoever. And I've cost the taxpayers 50 to $70,000 for a special session. What do you think I should do? And that's what they asked me. 
And here's what I told them. You're damned if you do. You're damned if you don't. You're going to get hit from one side if you vote vote against this program. You're going to get hit from the other side if you vote for the program because you think that you're going to save the taxpayers money. I, I said, I wouldn't want to be in your position. I would. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would, too. That's a no-brainer for me, Dave. I mean, you're talking about $2 billion versus 50000 No, but wait, Joe. If you know, you no, Joe, wait. You know that you're going to lose in the end, okay? Well, do you? But let me tell you what, what I, I think, think that, that you can, you can call it, yes. The, the legislators today need to think about as they know, this thing is going to change by the federal government. Arkansas is running behind just trying to make sure that we get as much as we can from the feds, and we don't want to run our own state. We just want to react and, and just be there with our hands out. I would prefer to have these people who have stood firm against this policy to retain their their integrity and their position against it and be ready to lead us out of it to a solution because that's what they need to be looking at. What's a solution for where we are now? You know, the the gravy from this program is behind us unless you're an insurance company. Arkansas has seen its better day for it. You know, it makes us money. It made us money. It is now costing us money. Lead us out of this, please. And I think the only people who can do that are those who have stood firm and voted against this program. Well, and by that same logic, though, if if Democrats had or others had the majority and they were going to vote for unfettered abortion, then you might as well because it's going to happen anyway, so you vote for abortion with them? Is that what you do? Well, if you, you know, I guess it comes down to you can hold it up, but you're going to lose in the end, Joe. Well, let's consider the abortion, the abortion issue. We could have also, I used to work with Eagle Forum back in the day when, you know, there were two or three pro-life legislators and senators. We could have all said, hey, let's just be for, for abortion. It's going to happen anyhow. It's the law of the land. I mean, where would we be today had we all just given in on that issue? I'm just looking at the votes. Democrat Party. Well, I tell you what, when I have to look at the votes, I want to be able to go back to the voters that supported me and knocked on doors. And, uh, and I told them that I stood for smaller government, less federal dependency and look them in the eye and say, I did what you told me to. All right. Let's talk to Vince real quickly. Vince is in Redfield. Hey Vince, how are you? Vince. I'm doing good, Dave. Um, yeah, I was wanting to, uh, just bring something up. Uh, we keep talking about, you know, the mentality of uh, Arkansans. I really wish the legislature could do something about teaching more history. I mean, mandate. Uh, I know it's a, it's a it's a explosive argument, but mandate a reading list. Um, and you know, the only way we're going to get people to be uh, rugged individuals is to teach them and to be proud to be Americans. I've got a boy in college and one in the seventh grade, and it just infuriates me how little American history they teach. Um, I read an article today about the Army, how they're redoing the boot camp to train these uh, young people that are they have a sense of entitlement, and a big part of it is Army history, to teach them that they're not entitled to anything. When you take when you guarantee somebody something, you're guaranteeing taking it away from somebody else. Amen. All right, Vince. Appreciate your call. We got to get a break in. 
Joe, Brenda, I'll be right back with you. It's the Dave Ellswick Show, 96.5 FM, The Answer. Conduit for Action is our special guest during this hour. We do this every Monday at 4 o'clock. Brenda and Joe are with us. Uh, they're up in northwest Arkansas. R.D. is our special co-host today. He's in uh, with us today. Of course, he'll be back tomorrow for the power panel. I've got another caller I'd like to get to. Kenneth is in Little Rock. Kenneth, how are you? we got one minute. Go ahead. Yes, I would like to uh, just put in that uh, stick to your guns if it's a belief, if it's a value, vote for that. Don't give in just because the other side might win in the end. Don't give in just because you might cost the American taxpayers forty or fifty or sixty thousand dollars on a special election. Well, I'll say I, I I agree with what you're saying. However, I will also tell you the that I know where a politician stands. Because you'll vote and hold up the principal, and then some of the people that wanted you to hold for principal said, yeah, but you cost just money to have a special election, and then they don't come to the poll and they, and they, they don't vote for you. And that is a legitimate concern for somebody who's uh, a politician. Whether you like it or not, it's, 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 it's the way it is. I got 15 seconds to tell everybody we're going to Fox News, R.D. Can you, hey. hold, can you hold up? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Hey. It's always right to do the right thing. All right. You hold on. We'll be back. We'll talk about Joe and, and Brenda. I'll be right back with you after we get done with Fox News. All right. If you just joined us, uh, Conduit for Action, <clears throat> excuse me, is with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, they join us every Monday at 4 o'clock. And by they, I mean Brenda and uh, Joe. And they're with us on the phone. R.D. Hopper is in the studio. He uh, stopped by today. I've invited him to be my co-host today, and he's been adding in his thoughts as well. And guys, we got one more caller. Let me clear off our callers. Tim is in Cabot. K- Tim, how are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, there's a fellow that uh, made a comment earlier about uh, kids being smarter in school or what? Or history, history being taught better. No, no, no. He I said they're not teaching history. They need to teach history better so the kids will be smarter about it. I don't think it's uh, beyond reason to uh, make junior high schoolers, before they get into high school, pass the naturalization test that immigrants have to. Mm-hmm. Well, you do know that there is a test now that students have to take that's a civics test, basically. And they must pass it or they cannot graduate from high school in Arkansas. That's, that would make sense. Yeah, I yep. agree. It makes a whole the lot. The biggest thing is, since high school is so important that four years, it would need to be, there, there needs to be a wake-up call before they get into high school, before they hit ninth grade. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you know how that will happen, Tim? I'm going to tell you exactly how that will happen. If the parents at the various school systems show up at their school boards and demand that it be done, then it'll get done. We can't just continue the way we have over the last, I don't know, three, four decades and uh, sit back and let them teach whatever they want to teach to our kids, which is typically a bunch of crap about the United States. And, and then they turn into good little brown shirts when they go off to college. I mean, we have got to get serious about bringing the school system to be doing what we want them to do. On the same note, I think the teachers should bring to the parents 
that they need to start disciplining their kids at the house. I don't dis- I won't disagree with that either, Tim. You are right on with that. All right, back to Brenda and Joe. All right, so bottom line is, can I can I read a couple of things that are very discouraging to me out of this article as well? Uh, one is with one is with Flippo. All right, Flippo Scott Flippo of Mountain Home. Uh, won an election back in 2014. It was a runoff against John Burris. A large, a large group of people helped him win that election. And part of it was that he would vote against uh, Medicaid expansion. He says that he doesn't feel boxed in this year to vote against the appropriation. He said, things have changed since 2014. If the Trump administration approves a work requirement for some Arkansas Works participants, that would be new as well. Constituents expect him to make sure he has all of the relevant information before he votes. Alan Clark said last week that he has stood against the program for five years. At what point do I say this ship has sailed? I don't know what I'm going to do. He said he is happy about the prospect of a waiver to allow a work requirement for the program. Quote, so it makes it a lot more palatable. I am just quite frankly trying to find a way to vote for it, and I'm not sure I will get there, but I'm trying, unquote. You know, like I said, I had a couple of uh, other conservative lawmakers that kind of had the, the same effect that these guys have. Do you think what it is is they're just getting worn down i mean seriously just worn down by the constant you know beating on by the other side i mean i i'm just asking your all's opinion well dave no one wants to be in it again we get tired of being against things that the republican administration and leadership keeps trying to foist on us it's it is depressing to be against something in a minority all the time it seems but I can tell you that another way they could look at that is there's a lot of people out here working very hard to get them some help in the Senate so that they won't be a minority and they won't lose in a special session. And why don't they just hold on for that? I mean, just to tie in our prior caller, talking about civics, the Senate candidate, Senate District 16, his wife was the civics teacher for 35 years in the Russellville School District. So I asked him, well, does that mean you know uh, Bob Bailey, do you know civics? He said, you bet I do. So, you know, that's <laughs> encouraging to your prior caller. But I think that article was written, even though I appreciate the author, but it, the tone of that article was written to demoralize those who have stood firm over the last several sessions against this program that most of our, Arkansas does not want and voted against. I would, I would love to see them recommend something like freezing enrollment or change it to fee-for-service as opposed to using insurance to, uh, you know, for the state to have an insurance policy that the insurance companies benefit from. And if someone is sick, they get moved over to the traditional fee-for-service. I mean, just insurance premiums, is that's funding our economy, according to our governor, I suppose. But I would, you know, call on them not to be discouraged, and I would ask all the supporters of these guys all these years and women to encourage them and know that words are taking out of, taken out of context. I mean, we've had several people contact us about um, the quote from Scott Flippo. Certainly, we helped Scott get elected. We have faith in Scott to vote according to his constituents' 
wishes. We know that district. We know what they want, and we feel like Scott will vote accordingly, just like we believe Alan Clark will do. Have you well, guys? Have you nobody guys? Nobody needs to be fooled by these tweaks <laughs> around the edges. Uh, I don't know if you you'll, you'll surely recall Charlie Collins talking about the triggers early on. We can stop the program anytime. Well, that was just a bald-faced lie. Just like last time they sold it on, hey, we have work referrals. No, this work requirement is a joke, and people need to not just hear it, but they need to read for themselves what this alleged work requirement is. It sounds good, but it's nothing. Well, I've talked about that. I've talked to Jr. about it. I've talked on the air about it. I talked just earlier today on the show with with uh, uh, R.D. about it. It's not tight enough by a long shot. It is just not even close to being tight enough, and it needs to be rewritten. Uh, re- I agree with that. You, you know, when I've talked to Democrats about the subject, whenever uh, you're talking to your neighbors or anybody else, I've asked all of them. Uh, between the taxpayers and the people that are receiving care, that need care, that need to be taken care of, is there any reason to give the insurance company 25% of the taxpayer's money in between the hospital and the taxpayer to take care of those people that need care? All we have to do is reimburse, give the hospital tax care uh, credit for their disproportional care the way we were doing before Barack Obama, and we saved 25 or 50% of the insurance companies. Even Democrats know that we don't have to make insurance companies rich to take care of people that need care. The only people that believe that are the politicians that get a percentage of that 25 or 50% that the insurance companies are needing. These people can go to the federal government and get the same program online. The only deal is that the state politicians don't get the money. Well, now, R.D., that DH, DSH program is still in existence. That didn't go away. The, the, the DISH program, the disproportional share, they still get that money. And I repeat, the in- insurance companies are nonprofits and do not pay Arkansas state income tax. I yeah. just ha- can't repeat that enough times. But nonprofit doesn't mean they don't turn a profit. All nonprofit means they get paid very well. All matter of hospital math. You got that right. The the legislators' relatives on the payroll and it gets the profit way down. Now the nonprofit in that context means that when they're organized, they agree to do certain amount for charity, and that's built into their format of what they're going to do. And uh, you know, yet they want to claim weight. we're losing money because we're having to do something for charity. You know, it's all part of an interesting system. Well, well there is another angle to this as far as, you know, conduit sees it. And, and we see this occasionally on Facebook, and, and uh, some people say this out in the, in, in the population, is that, you know, we're always against stuff, and we don't have any – we don't come with any solutions. Well, I can tell you that we've got plenty of solutions. We, we put them out there. But, no, you know, nobody's interested in actually solving the problem with conservative uh, ideas because these aren't difficult. One of the things that could be done, and, and this is a broader subject uh, that I've been interested in, is why don't we push things down closer to the people? Right? How about counties having a county hospital again? And if you've got no money, you go there. Now, that would be way cheaper than even Medicaid. Mm-hmm. So, you know, nobody's interested in talking about that. 
and they're not interested in disclosure of what they get from the Medicaid program. So what is going on? It seems pretty clear that there are some that aren't interested in conservative solutions, and they're the ones in leadership. Well, Joe, to drive this whole narrative that that ship has sailed. All right. Well, Joe, let me jump in and just ask you, how would, how would this uh, hospital on the county level uh, be financed so that you had, uh, you know, one or two doctors there that could see the patients that would come to it? The same way it was 40 years ago. I mean, everybody remembers the county hospitals. It's, that, that's old enough to, you know, vote. I went to. Should, should be old enough to vote. Anyone who's old enough to remember a, a town doctor who gave you a shot, you know, in your town is a 300 people. Well the, well, the local people should pay. And then whatever the people will pay, that's the amount of service your neighbors wish to give for free. Okay. Nobody gets any benefit from it that's not seen. Yes. And this is a, a staple of, of the Republican philosophy is, is get it as close to the people as possible. That, yeah, that used to be in the state Republican platform before, I believe, before it got changed. But that's exactly right. If it was about people getting care, we could have local hospitals. We could have state hospitals. Uh, and uh, just like uh, it's it's good enough for our veterans, go down here to the Veterans Hospital. They come from all over the state for the veterans. Those people fought for our country. Uh if it was me, I'd turn the veterans hospital into a state hospital, and I'd let the veterans go see whatever doctor they wanted to, and then I'd have a county hospital in every county, and we could save billions of dollars. But going to what you're saying, there is a revenue stream for a VA hospital. I'm just wondering where the revenue stream comes for uh, a county hospital. Look, I'm, I've only been in Arkansas less, you know, less than 20 years, so I'm not a, aware of the county hospitals that you all had here before. And, uh, and, and RD, or not RD, but Joe, you're saying that the, the county would designate X amount of funds. And are you saying then when the funds run out, then the people. Yeah, it was probably related to the state financing as well. But we've just funds. talked about this Medicaid expansion program by itself is over $2 billion. The whole Medicaid program is over $5 billion, is it not? Now, that can, there's 75 counties. Do the math. Um, you're, we're seeing maybe a prototype that might evolve into something like this. I think that if we looked at all 75 counties, we would see a, a shortage at the county level for jails. You know, they're saying, hey, we're keeping all these prisoners for the cities, we're keeping the states prisoners, and we're not getting enough money to cover it. And yet now the counties, their their money's drying up, going to the cities as the cities have taken up more of their 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 size and more of the dollars. And in today's paper, the Washington County um, Court is recommending we look to the cities to pay for, for their, you know, people that we jail. And so that's putting it down on the local level. I mean, I certainly encouraged our county judge. Well, I mean, I think that that's certainly appropriate. It might be that the Constitution needs to be looked at. I don't know. But I do know it's sort of almost comical to believe, to realize that the cities don't pay for uh, housing their, their uh, you know, jailed folks. And why do the Republicans insist on continuing a socialist program from a socialist president at any cost? Yeah, that's really the overall point right there. I mean, that that is it. (laughs) Putting things and mandates from the federal level are what Republicans are about eliminating. 
at least supposedly supposedly with a conservative movement if they quit being for that then i'm done i might as well you know become a libertarian get a bong and and uh you know don't cut my hair anymore <laughs> now you can't go back to your college days joe i'm sorry <laughs> well, i beg to differ <laughs> All right, let's take a break. I got to get a final break. And when we come back, I'd like you to talk about that Russellville election that's going on. We'll do that when we return on the Dave Ellswick Show here at 96.5 FM. The answer, don't forget about Safari Pets, 808 West Main and Cabot. Their number is 628 com. And on March the 1st from 5.30 to 7 p.m., it's Science Night, all about pet nutrition at Magnus Creek Elementary and don't forget about Family Night, Bugs and Reptiles at Northside Elementary. Keep all of that in mind when you think about Safari Pets. They have everything you need for taking care of your pet or pets. It's Arkansas's largest independent pet store, Safari Pet. All right, we're bound to about the last uh, four minutes here. And, Joe, I'm sorry I, I've been stuck on talking about Medicaid expansion today. I did want you to talk about what's going on in Russellville. Good things. We're going to get the Senate some help to beat back the Medicaid expansion. Okay, so you're talking about Bailey, correct? Two senators. Well, we how- have an opportunity to make the Senate a, a more conservative place with uh, hopefully the election of uh, Bob Bailey down there. Okay, how is, how is, is that all working out uh, thus far? Are you happy with the way things are going there? Absolutely, but I'll tell you more tomorrow at seven o'clock. <laughs> you, you're going to make your prediction. At, you're going to make your prediction at five after seven. Is that what you're telling me? I'll make it now, but I will, I will guarantee it after seven. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I project a win, outright win for Bob Bailey without a runoff as of tomorrow at seven. That, that means that he'll get more than fifty percent of the vote. Is that not correct? That's right. Okay. Of the three candidates, I mean, we've had uh, the encouraging thing about Bob. You won't see this probably on his Facebook or uh, reading in the paper or looking at a lot of things. But what we found was there's a lot of support among the business community, um, among the people. They know Bob. He's 32 years as a machinist for uh, Nuclear One. He's got his own um, uh, company, makes, you know, uh, firearms. I mean, beautiful Beautiful guns. I mean, I hate to call them guns, but that's what they are. Well, people are sick of the establishment. You know, that, that was proven in the last presidential election, and it's going to be proven when there's a candidate that is not establishment, which there's certainly one in this race. There may or may not be one in other races. Okay. I know that there's been a lot of uh, of action on Facebook today about, uh, I guess there was uh, some kind of rally today for Bailey. Is that correct? Yeah, it may still be going on down there uh, on 64 there, Highway 64 Okay. there in Russellville. It may still be going on. Anybody listening, I mean, we would love for them to um, show up down there tomorrow. I'm sure Bob has some intersections where people could hold signs for him and, you know, just help out on a conservative candidate because a vote in one Senate district affects the entire state, as we know. As that article you referenced pointed out, they need 27 votes to fund the Medicaid expansion piece from the Senate, and uh, they appears right now that they might be short two or three. No kidding. Yeah, did, did I mention there's free beer? <laughs> 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 
Come on now. Come on. All right. We're here for volunteers. All right. I appreciate you both for joining me today. Been a great show today. A lot of interesting discussion. A lot of things to talk about. A lot of things brought up by callers. And I appreciate both of you. For folks that want to know more about Conduit for Action, uh, just go to the, the website. You guys direct them to your websites. Conduit for Action, Conduit for Commerce. Is it uh, dot, it's dot .org, correct? Yes, sir. All right. Easy enough to get to. Got a, do you got a new article up there, Brenda, that they need to look for? You know, we've been uh, actually working more this week on other things and other issues and had some illness, so we're a little slow, but we have so many articles on Conduit for Action already on the current topics mm-hmm. that um, all you have to do is just Google any of the words that we discussed today. All right, just take a look. Put in Medicaid expansion, spend the whole night reading. That's my suggestion to you. Conduit for <laughs> Conduit for Action org.org or conduitforcommerce.org. Joe, don't grow your hair long yet and don't buy a bong, all right? Well, I'm, I'm approaching 60, and that's, that's the cutoff. <laughs> all right, brother. We'll talk to you all later. Thank you very much for being part of the Dave Ellswick Show. Robert Steinbach, our law professor from UALR Bowen School of Law, coming up next on the Dave Ellswick Show. Listen up, veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others, and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. Call me. I'm Kimbrough Stevens. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much-needed benefit, commonly referred to as aid in attendance. If you are a married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year, and we offer a no-risk consultation. So call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record, and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at Jurist Law Group, J-U-R-I-S-T, lawgroup.com. Call us at 501-400-8250 or Google me, Kimbrough Stevens, and we look forward to hearing from you. While we're into the final hour of the Dave Ellswick show today, unbelievably have moved along very, very quickly today. My thanks for uh, R.D. Hopper coming in today and filling in uh, as a co-host. He dropped by and I said, well, come on, come on on. I mean, he does great on the power panel. This gave him the opportunity to really uh, be part of the show today as he was the only other person in the studio with me. And you got a real good taste of a, a lot of the things that he believes in. And I, uh, I really like RD and <clears throat> excuse me, like what he, uh, what he stands for, uh, be, being a small businessman, putting it on the line every day, day to day, you know, Joe from Joe's garage says every Monday you walk in to your business knowing that uh, you got to make X amount of dollars if you're going to pay the salaries of your employees and make any kind of profit, pay your rent, pay everything else. You got to pay all the overhead, and uh, that takes a special individual, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. In fact, we'll talk about Sonny's Auto Salvage a little later on in the show. Uh, Sonny's Auto Salvage is the company that RD uh, owns. But here in the final hour of the Dave Ellswick Show, it's a Monday. That means that we're going to welcome to the show Robert Steinbach. Robert is, of course, a law professor over at the Bowen School of Law. Remember that his opinion is his opinion and his opinion alone and does not necessarily reflect that 
of uh, UALR, Bowen School of Law, and uh, just take it from there. I'll just tell you that I'll take his opinion over Bowen School of Law's anytime, just to be honest with you. How you doing, brother? I'm well, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. Hey, I sent you a story that I want to start off with uh, here on the show. And yes, uh, this one dealing with a teacher who was uh, posting on her own Facebook page and was suspended from her school. Uh, Vicki Knox served Union High School in New Jersey, Union, New Jersey, since 2000 as a teacher and facu- uh, faculty advisor. And uh, she began teaching handicapped students 28 years ago. She's an ordained minister. Knox communicated her opinion openly on social media in uh, 2011. That's going back a few years. We're talking seven years here. She criticized an LGBTQIA plus promotion featured in the school's display case. Why parade your unnatural, immoral behaviors before the rest of us, she posted. Homosexuality is a perverted spirit. I know sin and it breeds like cancer, Knox 56 commented. Sodomy is unnatural, immoral behavior that is against the nature and character of God. Now, those comments got Knox in hot water with the school district. Quote, we do not have to accept anything, anyone, or any uh, behavior or any choices, she expressed in all caps, to emphasize her constitutional freedoms. I do not have to tolerate anything others wish to do. I do have to love and speak and do what's right, she admitted. Knox was uh, summarily charged with conduct unbecoming a teacher and suspended without pay. Later, school officials filed tenure charges against her to take away her job security in order to fire her. Included in the school charges were allegations that Knox alerted school officials via email that homosexual teachers were, quote, targeting young and impressionable students for indoctrination into alternate life sexual lifestyles. And Knox denied sending any of those emails. Knox eventually resigned in mid-2012 under stress. In 2013, she sued the district for violating her right to free speech and her right to the free expression of her religion. She wanted her job back with back pay, and the admission that she was within her rights under the Constitution to express her views on Facebook. She said, uh, her attorney said, these uh, Facebook posts that she made were done on her time at her home after school hours on her home computer, and it was addressing a matter that could arguably be a big societal concerns. Her personal beliefs are what they are. They are her Christian values. And that has nothing to do with hate, said her sister. They're vilifying her. If they knew her, they would not do that, her husband Gene said. The ACLU of New Jersey admitted that though they did not approve of Knox's Christian beliefs, her beliefs and comments are protected by the First Amendment. Eventually, the school teacher reached a confidential settlement on the tenure issue. The board used that against her, arguing her lawsuit was moot because she settled on the tenure issue. But in 2015, U.S. District Judge Kevin McNulty allowed her suit to go forward. Meanwhile, the New Jersey Department of Education voided her teaching certificates. Knox appealed and bargained for compromise.
to a three-year suspension. The state agreed last month has suspended Knox certification as an elementary and nursery school teacher and as a special ed teacher for handicapped students. The three-year suspension agreement speci- uh, specifies Knox, quote, did not admit or concede to the truth of allegations, unquote. Teachers who qualify for a disability pension receive about 43% of their average salary. So even the ACLU agrees that she should be able to say what she says on Facebook. Kind of amazing to me that the school system went after her the way that it did. How about, uh, what say you, sir? Well, Dave, I think obviously part of the reason you sent this article to me and we're discussing it today is because of the overlap with the issue that's going on at the University of Arkansas right now, where there are attempts to transform the notions of tenure and what we're allowed to do as faculty member, yes. members uh, is being uh, under attack, essentially, right? They want to diminish uh, the protections of tenure and tell quite literally the faculty, we can fire you if you're not playing well with others. That's right. Uh, now, now, does this story that you now read uh, to the audience demonstrate that? That is, that is the, those are the administrators claiming that she's not playing well with others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, uh, I don't have to like what she said, and I don't like some of the things that she said, but she's on her own time, on her own Facebook account, sharing her own personal views, and here it is, a school reaching into her life and attacking her freedom of speech. We've said it time and time again on this show, Dave, and this show really is at the vanguard of First Amendment discussions, I believe. I listen to radio all the time, and you tackle, not only with me, with many of your guests, some of the most important First Amendment issues that are out there today. And this is really the one that hits home to most people. That is, can a public employer tell you what you can say at home to your friends? Yeah. On Facebook, Look, on the Twitter, it's it's, one, it's it's one thing if you're doing it at work, or right. you're doing it on a company-sponsored uh, communication device or whatever. That's it's right. totally right. totally separate when you're at your own home, on your own time, doing it on your own devices that you own. That's right, and it and there are different standards. There's protection for some of the for the things that you say at work, but to a lesser point, to a lesser degree, than there is to uh, what you say, of course, at home. And but it shows you every time the, the and it's in it's pervasive in academia. It's not only this school uh, that this woman's situation is in. It's across America, where uh, universities. Uh, high schools, elementary schools, they, the, those that run it uh, many times, not always, many times are trying to reach into the lives and minds of the faculty and tell them, you must believe, you must say, and you must do as we do. But that's not real academia, right? That's not education. If all of the faculty, all of the teachers are, are autom- automatons, they're robots. We want people who can think, who can challenge the students and, uh, and debate the students and debate other faculty and debate the administrators. But that's a messy system, admittedly so. 
and administrators don't like messy systems. I'll tell you this. If all of the faculty does everything that is exactly in line with the thinking of administrators across this country, it'd be far more efficient, but it would be far less education. So that's the question. Are you running a prison or are you running schools? And if you want to run a school, you need to allow faculty to think and say and be as they are, of course, on their own time and to to a significant extent as they educate students. Uh, and so she's on her own time making statements, some of which, all of which, I don't care, uh, the administration doesn't like. They're entitled not to like it. They're free not to like it. They're free to share their opinions. But that's not what they want to do. They wanted to shut her up. Yep. And they want, more importantly, they wanted to shut up any other faculty. By the way, what kind of faculty is she? Conservative. Yeah. Conservative. Because conservatives are under attack in academia today. Not because, by the way, that we are the martyrs of the world, we conservatives. We're not. But because the way education has developed since the 60s, it has become a haven for liberals. They have affirmatively discriminated against conservatives. And this is their way of squeezing out every last bit of conservatism. So when you see things like this case, when you see things like the issue of the tenure and academic freedom standards at the University of Arkansas system, think to yourself, are they squeezing out conservatives? And in both instances, uh, in this case, certainly yes. If the proposal that's on the table from the university council at the University of Arkansas system passes, the answer will be yes as well. Yeah. The other thing on this, uh, Robert, you may want to address yeah. this as well, is how long they have drug this out. This happened a lot, uh, uh, many, many, since in 2000. 2000. It's 2018. Well, you raise an important issue here, Dave, because a lot of times people say, faculty, I hear, I've heard faculty members from across the country say, this. well, I've got tenure, so if they do anything to me, I'll sue them. They're right. They're right about that. However, and it's a huge however, you're going to be in litigation for years, if not decades. And so when we weaken the tenure standards, what we do is we give license to the rogue um, faculty member or administrator who wants to go after the conservative to make that attack. And once that attack is underway, it's years before that conservative professor can get his life back in order. Yeah. So be, you know, when people say, well, I can sue, you can sue. It's messy. It's very messy. And I understand it's messy. It's okay. It's messy, but maybe we can avoid some of the mess by ensuring that those rights are res respected up front, and we do that by having rules at the elementary school level, at the high school level, at the university level, that says people, faculty, are allowed to express their views, certainly in private and in, in the academic setting, uh, uh, to a significant degree as well. Yeah, I'll give you a good example of this. Uh, a little over two decades ago, I was hired by uh, a major radio company to come work for them. I had a letter of intent, did not have a signed, uh, a signed contract, but a letter mm -hmm. of intent is as good as a signed sure. contract. 
and uh, got there and then they made the decision they weren't going to to keep me they they uh, they had a, a transfer of ownership the ownership didn't want to keep me there along with a whole lot of other people downsized the station and i sued them i i flat out sued them now i i ended up settling because sure. i'm going to tell you exactly okay. i'm tell you exactly what happened it goes to what you just said because i told the operations manager who i dealt with on the as far as uh you know the people that ran the station i said you yeah. know i'm going to sue you about this and he said dave go right ahead we've got a lot more lawyers than you do mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, and it, it took to- two years that's right it did and that statement holds true right because we're talking about in the context of academia uh, in in this respect we're talking about public schools we're talking about public universities they have a cadre a battalion of lawyers paid by you mm-hmm. and paid by me and paid by all of your listeners so they have free lawyers they have free lawyers that are paid by taxpayers uh when they undertake good or bad behavior I mean, the lawyers do a lot of good as well. I told you, by the way, that the lawyers put out a statement on campus carry that was right on the money. And I said on your show before, kudos to them. They got it right, and they got it right on the nose. Uh, But they also are charged with firing faculty. They're the ones that wrote the new proposal that's up before the University of Arkansas uh, Board of Trustees. The, the, The attorneys did, not the academics not the administrators, the attorneys. Why? Because the new proposal makes their job easier. And that's not how you run an academic institution. Professors, faculty, education, and academia are all complicated and nuanced and are not about dropping the sledgehammer uh, when uh, somebody doesn't like what someone says. We need freedom of expression freedom of speech and they've got more than enough attorneys to handle those aberrant professors that truly need to be fired that's not the issue here they are not only encroaching they are trampling over free speech rights with their proposal uh, that's before the board of trustees and the same thing happened to this woman right it said oh she settled and then she reopened it let me tell you why that happened and this is a guess but an educated guess because she couldn't afford to go forward at one point, so she had to settle. Mm-hmm. And then somebody else stepped in, and the attorney stepped in and said, you know what, uh, you were not treated fairly, and I'm willing to help you out on a contingency basis. And she said, okay, and that's why that case went forward, because the average faculty member can't withstand an attack by a cadre of lawyers. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with yep. everything you just said. Robert Steinbach is our guest. He is, uh, of course, a uh, professor of law at Bowen School of Law, uh, works over at UALR, and his opinions are his and his alone. We'll be back. We'll talk further with him here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Let me remind you about Sonny's Auto Salvage. R.D. was in uh, earlier today on the show, and again, I have him on because he is a small business owner, and he gives a very important view from a small business owner about what uh you know the the legislature is doing that ends up costing small businesses a lot of money just to stay in business to meet the regulatory burdens uh that legislators uh put on them remember that sunny's auto salvage does more than just 
handle small parts. They do the big parts as well, motors, transmissions, transaction, uh, transaxles, all of that. Plus, they have the mechanics that can install it for you. Plus, they have a warranty. And plus, that warranty has unlimited mileage on it. For instance, I had a transmission put in to my 2009 uh, car, and uh, they put it in. I have a three-year parts and labor warranty on it with unlimited mileage. That is an important and huge uh, warranty because the best warranty besides that I've found was three years, 36,000 miles. And I can put 36,000 miles on a car in just about a year. So really I was getting a year warranty as far as I was concerned with this other place. And it saved me a lot of money as well with uh, having it put in by uh, Sonny's Auto Salvage. Did you know that auto recyclers, now that's what Sonny's is, provide jobs and contribute to the economy? Without government funding, they invest to find more efficient ways to reduce, reuse, and recycle. They play an important role in keeping Arkansas the natural state. And that's Sonny's Auto Salvage. Your number one choice for recycled auto parts. Call them 982-7451. All right, our special guest, of course, is Robert Steinbach. He joins us every Monday uh, talking to us about all that's going on as far as free speech and other important things that we talk about here uh, that's going on in, in the world that we uh, we live in. Now, I tried to send you an article, Robert. Evidently, it did not come through to you. Let me just right. let me just read a, a little bit of this uh, to you and see if uh, uh, you you agree with it. Here's what it uh, what it says. As I get over to it again, hold on one second. I had sure. it. Now I lost it. Okay, is America? Well, you know what they've been saying about you, Dave? That you've been losing it for years. Oh, so. yeah, I lost <laughs> it the first day I came on the air. Uh, the, yeah. here, here's what, uh, the, the headline says is America having second thoughts about free speech. And it's uh-huh. from the week.com. The uh-huh. free speech wars are getting worse, but it seems that none of the warring factions quite grasp the character of the dispute or precisely what's at stake at the figurative center of the clash is the norm of near absolute freedom of speech and expression, which its defenders like to treat as the American default. A number of ideological challenges have arisen in recent years to overturn this norm. I think we fall in that first group that he's talking about. That's um, right. That's uh, right. And, and just to be clear, those, those overturning it are this kind of new movement that, like, that the, quote, hate speech where even though they admitted speech, somehow they want to define it outside of speech. Or the I'm offended, you can't say it, uh, delicate daisy group Mm -hmm. that need special protection for their very uh, delicate ears. Uh, Or those that need the trigger warnings in classroom. Hey, here's a trigger warning for all law students that I'll share with your audience. So if any of them want to come to law school, they can get it already. Law school has a lot of complicated and and nasty stuff that we talk about. We talk about crime. We talk about murder. We talk about arson. We talk about rape. We talk about robbery. So if that's going to bother you, 
probably you should look into doing something else. Same way, by the way, if you don't like the sight of blood, don't become oh, a nurse or a doctor because you're going to have to deal with that. But you're right. So this is a chipping away from the American rule. Okay, so he says that the figuratively, uh, the figurative center of the clash is the norm of near-absolute freedom of speech and expression. On many college campuses, however, groups of left-leaning students insist, insist that free speech should be conditional on speakers adhering to explicit standards of diversity and avoiding the infliction of emotional harm, as you've been just talking about, on the members of marginalized groups through the spreading of, quote, hate. From the opposite direction, President Trump believes that the government should, quote, take a strong look at libel laws to keep news organizations from subjecting his administration and other administrations to negative coverage. Finally, from the center left comes calls to use anti-discrimination law to punish Mm -hmm. organizations that oppose the legitimacy of same-sex marriage, accommodations for transgender people. If that happens, either by passing new laws that explicitly add to existing anti-discrimination statutes or by courts treating the members of these groups as protected classes covered by existing law, the result will almost certainly be a significant constriction of speech as those holding more conservative views will face sanction for expressing them in public. Those are the trends, and each one looks to the others like the onset of democratic decline. And indeed, so we talked about the first one already, right? Because you and I quite literally could have written that article. What did I say a moment ago before the break is that you're at the vanguard of talking about First Amendment issues on your show. This is the proof. This article is reflecting what we've been talking about all along. So we dealt with the delicate daisies. We dealt with the I can't be offended. We dealt with the trigger warnings. Uh, We dealt with the hate speech. Uh, What's the additional one at the end? Uh, That's the we are going to say that you violate anti-discrimination mm-hmm. law if you state your view on something. But as we've discussed already on this show on the, in a previous week, but I recall it, that that's not what anti-discrimination law says. You're entitled to your view, and you're in fact entitled to share your view. What you're not entitled to do is to direct your statements with actions against an individual or a group of individuals. So that's the difference. You can say, I believe in X. I don't believe in Y. You can't say, you can't be here, or you have to go do something different than someone else because you're a member of this group. Uh, That's what anti-discrimination law prevents. It prevents acts. And I've said that before in this show, and the left is trying to do this. They are reaching out in every direction they can to diminish the free speech that the left in the 60s and early 70s not only defended, but created in a sense. Of course, it was written into the First Amendment uh, a couple of hundred years ago, but it, it flourished under the left, not the right, but now that the left has become a bunch of delicate daisies in in many respects. They want to kill in various ways the freedom of speech for that speech 
with which they disagree. Remember, the left defended the ACLU, the leftist of left organizations, defended the neo-Nazis when they wanted to march in Spokie, Illinois. Nobody in the ACLU uh, believed in what the neo-Nazis had to say. That wasn't the point. In fact, the very attorney that represented the ACLU, with whom I've been in communication, he's a, practice, he's a, he's a law professor, um, he is Jewish and comes from a religious Jewish family. And, and he, as he says, his father taught him the First Amendment is the one that protects all the others. Yep. And if you can't have freedom of speech, then you can't have any other freedom. And you have to protect the freedom of those who say things that you find offensive, things that you don't like, because greeting cards don't need any protection. It's the speech with, with which others disagree that needs protection. And he disagreed vehemently, needless to say, being Jewish and religious mm-hmm. himself, with the statements of the neo-Nazis. And he defended them. And it was the right thing then, and it's the right thing now. Now, it's, it's very interesting because it goes back talking about John Locke uh, not being a real major defender of absolute free speech uh, as far as that is concerned. And uh, then talked about uh, uh, another person that uh, that made the statement that what we're seeing right now is after the last about 40, 45 years, the ascendancy of, of the belief that free speech should be exactly what it says, free speech, a very libertarian view. But he goes on to point out that these other folks are of the liberal bent. Now, libertarian is a classical liberal where uh, a libertarian is where a liberal now is not that at all. They are, as far as I'm concerned, uh, totalitarian in viewpoint. That's right. That's right. The modern left wants to impose its views on you. There's Mm -hmm. no doubt about it. Now, those on the left will say, well, don't conservatives want to do that when it comes to uh, certain uh, moral type issues, shall we say? And there are those in the conservative movement that want to do that. But then the the left often points to abortion, and that's a totally different debate. That's not a debate about imposing uh, conservative views on liberals. You can believe in whatever you want. It's about a third party. And so that debate has nothing to do with the imposition of moral views. Absolutely not. Unless you believe that the mere discussion of life is a debate about morality. And I will grant it is in part, but it's much more than that. And the left wants to impose their views of of. of so many things, it's almost boggling the mind. They want you to agree with their economic view of the world. They want you to agree with their social view of the world. They want you to agree with their ordering view of the world. I sent you an article, Dave, which I'll make mention too, that there was a study in Scandinavia, which of course is supposed to be very modern, very Mm -hmm. liberal. It is. And it said, sure enough, that the, the biggest factor in the differences in pay between men and women is not discrimination. Surprise, surprise. Meaning, we've been saying this all along. It's the fact that women 
have, have children often, not always, and that affects their workplace environment, meaning they drop out of their workplace for many years to raise children, or they cut back on their hours to raise children. And the article aptly says, well, maybe men should do more of this. Maybe. I've got no objection to that. But that doesn't mean that the employer is somehow cheating the employee when she says, I want to work part-time, or I'm going to take a leave for five years. That's not the employer's fault. The, the husband and wife can work that out as they see fit. Um, but don't blame discrimination by employers, because this article is just yet another demonstration that that's not what is the cause of the wage disparity. So when Hillary Clinton waved her hand in the sky, women only make 75 cents on the dollar for men, and it's closer to 80, by the way, uh, the, the fact is that most of that is because of choices that women and families are making. And that is not the responsibility of the employer, plain and simple. All right. When we come back, we got to get our final break in here. When we come back, Robert sent me another story that uh, we'd like to talk about. This one dealing with sanctuary cities and uh, some of the fights that are being uh, threatened. Although we'll see how much they fight when they're called into federal court. We'll talk about that. When we finish up today's edition of the Dave Ellswick show, we're moving to the last, uh, about, uh, 10 minutes of the show. Robert Steinbach is our guest. He is a, uh, professor of law at the Bowen school of law. Of course, his opinions are his and his alone. Uh, Robert, you sent me an article from the desert sun, uh, the U S department of justice threatening the state of California, which has declared itself a sanctuary state for undocumented immigrants. And uh, the U.S. Department of Justice now has issued subpoenas with officials uh, if officials fail to provide documents showing whether local law enforcement officers are sharing information with federal immigration authorities. The attorney general of uh, California says, well, you know, we're going to give them the information. By the way, this list also includes L.A., Chicago, states of Illinois and Oregon. But there are other people in this article uh, one is a Senator, uh, Camilla, Kamala Harris, who said in a statement it is not in the best interest of a civil society to make our local cops enforce federal immigration law. So does that mean they're not supposed to, you know, enforce any federal law, uh, and divert right. their already strapped resources towards fulfilling a misguided campaign promise by the president? Uh, other, other mayors are saying that, Hey, look. Uh, we will, we'll fight back. But then there's uh, people like uh, Baron Browning, a city councilman from Anderson, California, who says uh, he introduced a measure adopted last year, designating the Shasta County community, a non-sanctuary city, promising it would help federal immigration officials. So the question comes to this, what can the federal government do uh, to these uh these uh, mayors of these cities that are saying we're a sanctuary city or for that matter to governor moonbeam out there in California, who is saying that California is a, san a sanctuary uh, state. Let's break this down a bit. So there are certain things, cooperation that local law enforcement does with federal authorities that they don't have to do. Okay. They don't want to do it. They don't have to do it. But then there are at least two other categories 
states and localities take government money in exchange for uh, agreeing to undertake certain responsibilities. And, of course, federal law is supreme over state law. So if the feds are coming in and they want to enforce uh, um, uh, immigration, they're in charge. And in those latter two, if the states are interfering with that and the localities are interfering with that, they are violating the law. And the federal government can arrest everybody who gets in their way when they intentionally interfere with the enforcement of federal law. So if these mayors and sheriffs say, uh, we're not going to let you come into our local establishments when you have reason to come in and arrest people that you believe aptly are uh, e- here illegally, uh, then the feds should arrest the mayor and the feds should arrest the uh, sheriffs. Plain and simple. I don't care what if it's an elected official or a law enforcement official. If they are getting in the way of federal law enforcement that is done legally, those people who are getting in the way are breaking the law and can and should be arrested. Plain and simple. I saw that there was, I think, a proposal for a law or maybe a law. I don't know that in some either municipality in in California or in California entirely, I don't recall, that employers weren't allowed to call the uh, ICE, right, the immigration service. They weren't allowed to contact them. Well, guess what that's against? That's not only against immigration law, that's against the First Amendment. The, The state government can't impede the ability of a citizen to communicate with the federal government. That's so the feds, in those instances, if 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 a, a local person did that and got arrested or was attempted to be arrested, the feds should step in and arrest those people who are interfering with federal enforcement of immigration law. This is federal enforcement. By the way, part of that was made clear under the Obama administration when they were griping that uh, was it Jan Brewer in Arizona was doing uh, uh, enforcement uh, locally of immigration issues. And they said, no, 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 we, this is a federal issue. We're in charge. And the courts agreed with the Obama administration. So the feds are in charge. And if the locals get in the way of the feds, they should be arrested and prosecuted, plain and simple. Mm. All right. So that brings up a very interesting question. If uh, the the uh, governor of the state is saying that California is a sanctuary state, can they walk into his office and perp walk him out? Well, it's an excellent question, in fact, because one of the problems is this term sanctuary city is, or state is kind of made up. So what does he mean by that? Does he mean that they intend to thwart federal law? Or does he just mean, hey, come here, let's all hold hands and eat granola? So, or something in between, obviously. Secondly, is he just saying it? Because you can largely say whatever you want, right? We've talked about that. That's the First Amendment. Or is he actively interfering with the enforcement of federal immigration law? If the latter, let's get him in cuffs. If the former, he's free to go. Yeah, so it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with this. This is going to be up until uh, up to uh, the Attorney General of the United States is what you're saying, correct? 
That's right. But he needs to be, as he has been, vigilant on this. You can't let states dictate the national policy on immigration, be they liberal or conservative, frankly, albeit this happens to be an instance in which the liberals are fighting. Uh, but remember, remember, I, I live in Little Rock now. Uh, as you know, right now, I happen to be in New York with my mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I live in Little Rock, and I'll be back shortly. And we all know of the Little Rock Nine. And yep. we know that the federal government said when the state wanted to keep those little black children from going to school as they were entitled to do, the feds came in and said, no, 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 you can't interfere with federal law. This is federal law. So that's what this means. Federal law works to ensure that there's no discrimination like there was with the Little Rock Nine. And it also works to ensure that immigration is a federal policy uh, dictated by the president and Congress, not at each local state house or municipality. All right, Robert, I, I didn't get to the last subject that I wanted to get to today. I spent an hour talking about this in the first hour of my show, and that is the way that they've been, uh, you know, uh, portraying Kim Yo-jong, the sister oh, of uh, oh, Un. We didn't get to get yeah. to that. It's, it's just they couldn't have done any better than the 1936 Berlin uh, Olympics with Adolf Hitler than what they did with this woman here. That's right. It's a parallel. The, par- the press seems to suck up to these dictators until it's too late. Yeah, it's, it's true. And this woman who, you know, everybody says, well, it, it's just his sister. Uh, he's the dictator. Well, understand that she's the director of the propaganda and agitation department of the Workers' Party of Korea, she oversees the propaganda regime that constitutes the key component of the enslavement of her own country's people. So, you know, shut up and understand what this woman is. She's as complicit in the murder of innocent people as he is. Unbelievable. She was sent by him to the Olympics. It's no accident. So uh, let's, let's not play games here. I agree. I gotta let, Robert, uh, I got to jump in. We will, we will talk next week about this. I promise. God bless. All right. We'll talk to you later. Robert Steinbach. I'll see you tomorrow, 2 o'clock, right here, Dave Ellswick Show. The Dave Ellswick Show podcast is sponsored by the Juris Law Group. We provide estate planning for all ages, and we specialize in helping seniors get VA and Medicaid benefits for in-home, assisted living, and nursing home care. For a no-risk consultation, call us at 501-400-8250 or find us on the web at juristlawgroup.com. That's J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.